I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live on a Monday morning, and it is our final season preview of the year, Sam. The AFC and NFC South. I am ready to go with my Mark Brunel jersey, AFC South legend. Yeah, you are dressed for the occasion. I am. It's tough trying to figure out, you know, what shirt to wear, you know, make sure I didn't, you know, did I wear this on the last show? It's always good to break it up with a Brunel jersey every now and again. Always. Who, who yeah. really wasn't an AFC South legend, more of an AFC Central legend. He was yeah. only a full-time starter one year in the AFC South. Just one year, huh? Just one year, 2002. Didn't go so well. No. no it didn't. And then he got two starts in 03, then he got benched for Byron Leftwich. Mm. Of course, everyone knows that. Everyone remembers that. But yeah, we're going to go team by team, AFC and NFC South. If you haven't caught our previous previews, that's right. We're three quarters of the way through the league. Went division by division in three other shows over the last few weeks. And now he's, uh, he's returned home to the Central. Where he started, NFC Central. Yeah. With the Lions. That's where he started his career with the Packers. I'm just glad. We, we can do a full Mark Brunel show. Oh, yeah. If we could ever get him to, you know, talk to us. Well, um, you were told, you were pointed to where his office is now so you could you know that's true you that's true his office there. is right yeah i was right outside his office mm-hmm. i should have gone up to like the well, window let's face it for you that's outside. just you know reaching height <laughs> just knock on his window from the outside yeah all right so a little uh little housekeeping to kick things off here i want to give the schedule for the week and you remind people of oh, the bet show remind people about the bets but this week you're going to leave for a couple days yeah okay but we're going to replace you mm. with Brad Spielberger on Wednesday because tomorrow, Tuesday, is cut day. And so rosters will be trimmed to 53. There'll be some last-minute trades. There'll be some late-round pick swaps. There'll be all sorts of movement. And we'll recap that all Wednesday morning with Brad Spielberger. And then Thursday, we're going to get Trevor Sikama on the show because I want to talk some draft with Trevor on Thursday. It'll be a high-level overview of the draft what we're looking for this season in college football, the players to watch, what the class looks like roughly from a position strength and weakness standpoint. We'll talk a little bit Caleb Williams and Drake May, the top two quarterbacks that we're expecting to come off the board early in April. So we'll go through all that on Thursday. And then next week, it's game week. Game week. And we're into... Uh, Started. You know, we'll, we'll be the only ones in the company working on Labor Day, of course, <laughs> like we usually are. No, I'm just kidding. Data team's always working too. Uh, but we'll come in and we'll just have a full week. Yeah. It's season, season. Season, season. Now, uh, remind people, the bet show yeah. will be sometime next week. So right. it has to be before the Thursday kickoff, of yes. course. So we'll do a preview show that Thursday. I'm assuming it's next Monday or Wednesday. We will accept or decline your bets. Oh, God, there's a lot of them in the middle. Or just, like. I mean, we'll just we'll list out the ones that have been accepted. The bets for the yeah. season. So anyway, nflpodcast.pff.com. That's where to send us an email with your bet for the season. If you think we've been crazy, if you think we're idiots, whatever it is, send us the bet. And uh, 
we will go through the best ones. We've had an absolute ton in the mailbag, so yeah, we're not going to be going through them all. But uh, the document is ready. The 2023 bet document is live. You'll be able to track it throughout the season. We will post it up uh, in the link, etc., uh, the description of the bet show. But we need the bets. Um, we have an absolute ton of them already. I'm not going to lie, I haven't read them yet. If it said bet in the thing, I've just left it in the mailbox. I'm like, I'm becoming those people, you know, you see their phones. And it's like 7,852 notifications. That's like what, what the mailbag looks like right now. I haven't gone through yeah. it yet. Um, but at some point I will, and then we will have the bet show. Once, it, once you let it go, it, it can get away from you in a hurry. Oh, yeah. In a hurry. I think I had a six-month span where the inbox just, was just out of control. I could not catch up. Yeah. And then one day you just do it. When, do you actually go through it properly or do you just go mark all as red? <laughs> uh, no, I have to, you know, I do the mark all as red, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had glanced at every, if there was something I needed open during that period, I would have done it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, sometimes it, it gets away from you. All right, we're going to get into the AFC and the NFC South. But first, fall is all about the back to school and the back to routine checklist. And the most important task on that list should be securing your family's financial future. Starting with life insurance, Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their life and their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policy is issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, man, we're going team by team. We're going to set the 15-ish minute timer. Let's do it. Timer, 15. I saw a disturbing tweet a little while ago on one of Mina's previews we're already into texans time but we're starting with the texans mm. and uh there's some there's some site or something that did uh little uh, machine learning or text analytics on how positive or negative mina was on one of her podcasts really for like the uh for the nfc south or whatever it was at the time okay and it was like oh, super positive for the saints and super negative for the bucks and, and people can analyze our words now cool instead of just complaining they yeah. can actually do it with data <clears throat> Which is wonderful. All right, so let's go. Houston Texans are up first. Uh, of course, we've got a whole new regime there. D'Amico Ryans comes in. PFF Bobby. Colin PFF plays. C.J. Stroud. The biggest offseason news for the Texans was trading up to get both C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson. For those who have heard me criticize the trade in the past, we're just going to focus on the on-field here. And just to reiterate for the 9,000th time, my criticism of the trade was that Will Anderson's not worth three players, mm -hmm. but he's worth one really good player, I think, going forward. Um, and for those who would say that they traded up for the quarterback, that is a ridiculous take. They already had access to the quarterback with the number two pick. But the Texans are coming off a 3-13 and 13 record. They were destined. They were supposed to have the number one overall pick, but they made a mistake and won late in the season. Week 18, Bears lost. Bears got the number one overall pick and flipped it. So, projected for 5.8 wins, though, this season with the Texans. I think the roster's a little bit better than that now. It really depends on what happens with Stroud and Bobby calling plays for the first time here. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's, that's going to be the key, is, is how quickly C.J. Stroud can adjust. And 
hit the ground running or otherwise. Um, I, that's going to be fascinating. Like CJ Stroud was a guy that a lot of people loved this draft process. Like there were a lot of people out there saying Stroud should have been the top QB in the, in the draft. He was the number one guy. He was better than Bryce Young. Um, he's a more sure thing than Anthony Richardson, whatever it was. There were a lot of people that had Stroud as the number one guy. I was always lower on Stroud than most people. I think there are concerns there. Um, and he hasn't played a lot in preseason. Like, the, he's played, but they've kept him relatively uh, out of the game, you know, running with the starters, running with the ones. They haven't really gone out there to see, you know, what he can do in preseason. Preseason's just been about the, the kind of standard knocking the rust off, you know, sharpening up for the season. So we're not really going to find out anything until real bullets start flying and we get an idea of whether the things that look like weaknesses from his tape are real problems. Per usual, I think I'll confirm my priors with Stroud. And I, from what we've seen a little bit in the preseason, if the play's there schematically, and I'm not saying it has to be wide open, but if the play's there schematically, I trust Stroud to hit that throw, maybe as much as Bryce Young in this draft class. And he can hit tight window throws. There was a lot of you know, stories coming out of Houston about his pinpoint accuracy and what he's doing at practice. We saw that a couple preseason games ago against the Dolphins, a precision deep out, a precision over route where he's putting it right on the receiver. The question during the entire draft process for Stroud was if he's under pressure, has to make plays outside of structure, can he do it other than that one Ohio State game? I think that still remains to be seen. So I think it's going to come down to that offensive line, which looks solid on paper. Remember, they're the team. After all this time, they're the team that traded for Josh Jones from the Arizona Cardinals for a fifth and you know, pick swap or in the fifth and a seventh got flipped. But um, Josh Jones could come in and play right tackle while Titus Howard is hurt. Shaq Mason comes over this offseason. Laramie Tunsil is one of the better pass-protecting left tackles. It looks like three-fifths of that line is solid. We'll see what happens with year two of Kenyon Green at left guard. So it, to me, it comes down to the Shanahan derivative scheme here putting Stroud in position to succeed, a solid group of playmakers, especially if Tank Dell's getting his time. Mm. So we could see some ups and downs as any rookie, but I think Stroud will be solid for a rookie this year. I feel like he, his strength is the thing that Trey Lance is struggling with the most at the moment. Like that idea of the cardinal sin in the Shanahan offense is passing up the thing that's dialed up in the play call, the play design. Like Shanahan's offense is exceptionally good, probably the best in the NFL at ensuring number one is always open. And sometimes number one won't be open. You'll have to go to two to three, you know, work your progression. But that's probably the best offense in the NFL at getting number one open as often as possible. And through preseason, like the defining characteristic of Trey Lance's play was he was passing up number one all the time, even when it wasn't, you know, covered, all those kinds of things. I feel like the one thing C.J. Stroud is going to do as often as humanly possible and probably quite well is target number one even when number one isn't open <laughs> it's going to get him into some trouble but in this offense that's probably the best way to default like I think certainly the coaches would prefer they take that approach than the one Trey Lance is taking at the moment which is you know hesitating and trying to go to two to three just assume number one is going to be open if it's not that's as much on me as it is you and at some point we'll work on you know not throwing it right to a safety when number one isn't, in fact, open because there's a safety lurking there. But, like, let's just trust that the offense is generally doing the right thing and target that guy. That, I think, is what Stroud is going to have to do well right away. And 
Therefore, we hope that, you know, Bobby's scheme in number one open as often as possible. And as I mentioned earlier, I, I think the Texans roster will give him enough of a chance to succeed. It's not a, it's not a great supporting cast, but again, let's remember Nick Casario comes in a couple years ago before they had traded Deshaun Watson. Our criticism of Nick Casario is it feels like all you're adding to this roster is special teamers who could start. Special teamers who on this Texans roster at the time are going to play football. I thought this offseason they did a nice job of bringing in players who have been above average starters over the last couple of years. That's not flashy, but when you add it all up, you add a Robert Woods in if he stays healthy. I mentioned Shaq Mason at guard, uh, Jimmy Ward in the secondary at safety, even just a Sheldon Rankins at, at defensive tackle. Those, are, those four players would be, what, top eight players on the Texans over the last two or three years, and now they're just sprinkled in as starters. Dalton Schultz at tight end. As much as we say, hey, Dalton Schultz should not be your number two target like he was last year for the Cowboys, on this Texans team, he's, he's now an impact player based off what, what they've had over the last couple of years. So I think they've actually made moves these last couple of years to make you know, their, their top 22 to 30 players far better than they were two years ago. So from that perspective, I'm optimistic about the Texans. Of course, it always is going to come down to Stroud, his development, what he can do. Even running back here, Damian Pierce in year two, Devin Singletary comes in, a decent one-two punch of dudes who are just tough to tackle. Um, and we know that the Shanahan scheme, they're going to want to run the ball, so those guys will have opportunities. There'll be play action off of that. So I kind of like – I think the offense will be all right, especially if Tank Dell, as we mentioned earlier, gets, gets some time early on here as a rookie. Yeah, I mean, I think it needs to sort of settle itself and, and sort itself out in terms of what that – hierarchy is going to look like from a receiving point of view like nico collins might still be their number one receiver robert woods is the guy that has the highest sort of proven track record ceiling in the nfl like you don't have to go back that far to find robert woods looking like one of the best wide receivers in the nfl then obviously injury hits him and he wasn't the same guy in tennessee the texans bring him in as i think a really solid sort of buy low type of um, high reward, low risk move, but like, is Robert Woods capable of getting back to where he was? Is he going to go somewhere in the middle, or is he done? Um, Tank Dell looks like a real immediate threat as as a legitimate wide receiver, but he's playing basically permanently, like all the time outside. He's not a slot guy, despite his size. He's essentially playing the role that either Nico Collins or Robert Woods occupies. So Tank Dell's playing time involves him actually jumping one of those guys to be on the field. And then you've got who's going to actually man the slot when all this happens. So I think there's a collection of pretty good receivers here, but I don't know that they've settled yet on what that depth chart looks like in order to best maximize that group all right defensive side of the ball we know Debico Ryans is the new head coach he comes over that's where he's had he had a lot of success in San Francisco as defensive coordinator their first big move as I mentioned earlier was Will Anderson trading multiple picks including next year's first rounder to get Will Anderson at number three overall I think almost every draft analyst if you were just saying on the field who are the best defensive players who are the best players in the draft regardless of position Will Anderson was uh up there for most people. Of course, anytime you're before the draft, people are going to say, well, he's not, he's not as good as Von Miller. He's not dynamic. You know, some people had Will Anderson as edge five. But I think 
overall, the consensus was it's Will Anderson and Jalen Carter as the best two defensive players. The Texans get Will Anderson. Uh, remember last year, their pass rush was kind of hit or miss, and there, were, there was times where it looked pretty good, but they need more consistency there. Anderson needs to be a star. And then last year's number three overall pick, Derek Stingley. Had a bit of a slow start as a rookie, showed some flashes, certainly wasn't as good as Sauce Gardner, the guy picked right after him at corner. But Derek Stingley has that potential as well. I think for the Texans on defense, they need a lot from Will Anderson right away. They need Derek Stingley right here in year two to look like stars. And then again, around that, it's solid with Sheldon Rankins and Malik Collins at defensive tackle, Denzel Perryman as a run-stopping linebacker, Jimmy Ward, as I mentioned, coming in as a, an above-average safety with uh, – ties to D'Amico Ryans. So again, I think so, solid as a ceiling is like the name of the game here for the Texans on both sides of the ball. Yeah, they that that's a collection of pass rushers that could make some noise. Um, you know, Will Anderson, we don't know quite what he'll look like year one, but the ceiling is, is very high for him. Jerry Hughes is going to get you 45 pressures in a season no matter how long he lasts in the NFL. Like The guy's going to hang it up, still getting 45 pressures every single year. Jonathan Grenard was somebody that we thought could break out last season based off an incredibly uh, good performance the year before in a small sample size. Maybe it was just a year too soon for him, and he's going to have a, a breakout this year. But there's a collection of guys that can rush the passer there. The real thing that makes the difference for them is can they get a huge step forward from Derek Stingley? Because yeah. he's the player in that defense who has special ability. Um, you know, he was ranked right up there with Sauce Gardner. Very different prospects in terms of their makeup. You know, like Sauce Gardner was just good from day one in college to the end. And, you know, did it at Cincinnati, whereas Derek Stingley had this insane freshman season, LSU, um, and then took a step back, was injured, took a step back, wasn't quite the same guy. But the, he was drafted essentially off the ceiling. Like, if he can do that as a freshman in that conference, that means he has the, the ability to be as good as any corner in the NFL. And, you know, we know that coverage, cornerback play is generally volatile, so you kind of give him a break for the injuries and not being the same guy since. But he needs to get back there because year one was obviously nowhere near as good as it was for Sauce. I thought generally his coverage was reasonably sticky. It was the catch point stuff where he started to fall down, which – I think generally is a good thing. Like if you, that's a good starting point, but it does mean that you're going to take that next step. I mean, that was where Eric Stokes was. And then Eric Stokes went the other way instead of taking the next step. So th it's the, it's a massive range of outcomes for Stingley. Like he could, he could be anywhere from basically a liability with a PFF grade of like 40 to year two. He takes a giant step forward. He looks like, you know, sauce Gardner. He looks like one of the best corners in the NFL and that, completely changes the outlook of this defense. I think the secondary generally has, I don't know, the key to the season or anything like that, but the most upside potentially here because of what you mentioned with Stingley. Jalen Petrie as a, as a rookie last year, you know, again, if you're just watching the tape and you're looking at traits and is this guy in position and everything, there's a lot of good to Jalen Petrie's tape, but he also missed more tackles than any, anybody in the NFL last year. That usually doesn't stake. Like I don't expect him to miss 30, to 30 plus tackles again this year. If you just cut that in half, right, which is still not great, but if you just cut that in half, <laughs> Jalen Petrie looks like a far more impactful player. I know it's a big if. Tackling is the name of the game with football, but Petrie's got potential. Jimmy Ward, Derek Stingley, Steven Nelson, always just a good solid corner, and then Desmond King in the slot as a starting five. 
if we said at the end of the year, hey, the Texans could be a top eight secondary, that that's in the range of outcomes, I think, for the Texans. Of all their position groups, I think the secondary has the highest potential. But as you mentioned, you know, could go could go either way there for Houston. So anyway, my, my overall take on Houston is moving in the right direction. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, definitely moving in the right direction. Um, like this was the first time, you know, remember it felt like they'd been treading water for a while uh, under Nick Cazario and um, it felt like it was because they were stuck with Deshaun Watson for so long, right? He was dealing with his legal issues. He was basically stuck there on the roster. They couldn't get rid of him. So until that, until they could, it really felt like the entire process was just, well, let's just keep ticking over. Let's just keep the roster going, turning over with these nothing moves so that when we finally get rid of him, we can then go in a different direction. Um, and then they did. They made the giant trade. They, they got rid of him. They had these draft picks. And it felt a little bit like they kind of repeated it. They, they kept on doing these sort of low-level just roster turnover moves, which I think might be just kind of how Nick Casario does business. Like, I, lo- I love these bargain basement guys. Like, I'm going to find a few of them every year. Um, but the draft was a, a real statement of where they want to go. We get C.J. Stroud. We then do the, the uh, Will Anderson thing, the giant trade that, you know, numbers would say is just a negative EV type of move. Um, but that was the first real statement of we are going in this direction. But now, like with every team with a young quarterback or a rookie quarterback, I mean, nothing moves the needle more than what C.J. Stroud is going to be. All right, the over-under for the Texans is 6.5 for this season. I do expect, look, Stroud, if he starts slow and then kind of like Kenny Pickett maybe last year, it becomes uh, pretty solid down the stretch and you show signs of life. That's how Stroud's career went at Ohio State. Kind of started slow. Panic. In, in in week one or two, but then he ended up being pretty good. So over or under six and a half here for the Texans. Under. Going under? Mm-hmm. I'm going over. Am I over, everybody? We'll, we'll just stay over with the Texans. You need to run the text analytics on, on what your over or under is. For, I'm just for trying to show well when they run the text analytics and the machine learning and the, uh, the AI on uh, my positivity. I mm-hmm. want to make sure that I stay true to that as you're, as you're you know, bringing us down here on the show. All right, next up is going to be the Indianapolis Colts. But first, college football fans, you ready for week one? Oh, I am. I can't wait. I'm going to talk to Trevor this week all about college football, the draft. Draft DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking you up with a can't-miss offer, though. You're going to start the season strong. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on college football and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's $200 bonus bets. Anything can happen in college football. Your team can go from unranked to dynasty mode in just a couple of years. Change comes fast. The only thing that's a lock is the great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. So life's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code PFF. New customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on college football only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code PFF. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. And there's a whole lot of other states that will be in the terms and conditions. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. <coughs> Beautiful. I made an executive call. No, it's good. But don't get in trouble. I like for it. it. What do you think? Think I'll get in trouble? Probably. There's a lot of red text there. Yeah. They went back like it was old school. Yes, I am wearing a Brunel jersey, Charles G, because uh, we're talking Jags today amongst other teams. Indianapolis Colts coming off of a season in which they thought 
they were uh, they had their quarterback Matt Ryan. They've been playing, uh, you know, who's the new quarterback over the last few years? It's been a different starter for the last what seven years for the Colts, basically since Andrew Luck retired. So last year ended up kind of disastrous, five, four and twelve. Kind of disastrous. And we thought maybe Matt Ryan could come in, and it's a good enough supporting cast, and he can elevate him. But Matt Ryan looked a little old. The offensive line let him down, couldn't handle the pressure. They decided to bring in Sam Ellinger at points, and that went worse. Mm. Uh, they brought an ESPN analyst to coach the team in the middle of the team in the middle of the season. That was a questionable move. That was all last year. Yeah, yeah. It's been a long offseason. Just have to remind people that's where we that's are. That's one of those great ones where you know everyone's going to go, "Wow, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah, you know, everyone was pretty much set on that one from the, from the beginning. <laughs> I think there was a lot of foresight with Coach that Coach Saturday, it, it never seemed like a great idea. Foresight's 2020. Anyway, the, um, the whole thing's different now in Indianapolis. Shane Steichen comes in as the head coach, mm-hmm. and Anthony Richardson gets drafted at number four overall. Chris Ballard's been GM there for a few years now. They've, they've brought in a ton of athletes. Uh, it's always kind of been his MO from a drafting standpoint, but this year, all the more. You know, they that's where they went. So intriguing team as far as young talent and what we're gonna see from Anthony Richardson. So far in preseason, we've seen the we've seen the really good, we've seen the inconsistency from Richardson. So what do you expect him this year for the Colts? Uh inconsistency. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, look I Richardson is Richardson is, I think, really interesting because he's the next quarterback after Trey Lance that when you start looking at the number of pass attempts that all these guys have had Richardson is the only guy in the in the same ballpark as Trey Lance from the moment of their college recruiting to like now right I I drew up a list of pass attempts for for all these guys there were a ton of guys in the same recruiting class obviously Richardson isn't but all these like Trevor Lawrence had five has five times the number of pass attempts as Trey Lance does from the moment they were recruited to now. They were in the same recruiting class. Uh, Justin Fields is like three times more for Trey Lance. Trey Lance is so yeah. far off the bottom of that list. Will Levis, interestingly, is the next guy on that list in terms of low end um, relative to, to uh, Trey Lance. And yet Levis is almost twice what Trey Lance is. Richardson has less. Richardson has fewer pass attempts since, they were, since he was recruited than Trey Lance does at this point in his career. Um, and that, that list included you know pre, NFL preseason, NFL regular season, etc. The point being, Richardson is a wildly inexperienced quarterback, like historically inexperienced. And we've just seen one of those guys bomb hard in the NFL. Um, but the narrative is kind of the same, which is, incredible athlete now Richardson's a better athlete than Trey Lance great arm um talented and needs the reps needs to play and the Colts recognize this which is why he's the starter like they're not going into this saying we're going to give him a year on the sideline he's going to learn from the bench blah 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 like they recognize he needs those reps he needs pass attempts because he's going to need to read defenses and one of his turnover worthy plays in preseason against the Eagles you can kind of see it in action. Like he, it's an RPO and he misreads it and he realizes halfway through throwing that he's about to throw it to a linebacker and tries to pull it down and loses the handle and it's a fumble, right? But the point being, you could sort of see in real time, this is him learning. Like this is him re- reading something that he hasn't seen before 
and it was about to result in an interception, and he tried to back out of it and didn't manage to get it done. But he needs a season of those, right? He needs an entire season of seeing NFL defenses, disguise coverages, all the things he hasn't seen yet, and just work through it. And the Colts, I think, in Shane Steichen, they've just done this with Jalen Hurts. Like, they understand what the game plan needs to look like. And also in preseason, like, we've seen a ton of why it can function. Because there's been a lot of plays where Richardson has got out of trouble and done something with his legs and picked up a first down. Or, you know, picked up a first down and had it negated with holding or whatever. But, like, there's a ton of plays where his athleticism is going to keep the drive alive for him to fight again and, and make another attempt at moving the chains with his arm. But that's what it is. It's going to be a season of learning for Richardson, which I think is probably going to have some highs. It's probably going to have some real lows to it as well. I'm not ready for that. No? I'm not. I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for the social media reaction to every week. Look, Anthony Richardson. This is the who? Anthony Richardson's not accurate. Dot, dot, dot. Watch this pass. Anthony Richardson can't play in the NFL. Watch this pass. There's, there's just, there's going to be no in-between. There's going to be no in-between. I mean, his game against the Eagles, as you mentioned, that was the most extensive playing time that he had. Mm-hmm. We kind of saw all of that. We saw the yeah. dart. We saw the, this is the potential. We saw him completely misread a simple concept and throw it to a linebacker for a dropped interception. We saw the turnover-worthy play that you mentioned. We saw him do the quarterback things that we have lauded him for. We've said he'll stand in the pocket. He'll go through reads. We saw it in camp. We yeah. saw it at Florida. We saw it here in the preseason. Went through his reads and then airmailed the throw. Right. Like, you know what I mean? So like we're going to see the full gamut, right? The whole deal for Anthony Richardson in this year. All I ask, all I ask, give me the, give me the solo shot. Oh, give me God. the solo. Give me the solo. We don't do that in this show. Give me the solo. Don't give him a solo. Put a solo somewhere else. There it is. Focus on a spot in the wall. The PSA. Please do not overreact to every single Anthony Richardson play on social media. Now, I also can't promise that I'm not going to post some of the good ones because, you know, they could go viral or something. They could, mm. they could, they could get you some, uh, some clout. But do not overreact to Anthony Richardson this season because it's going to be a roller coaster ride. All right, carry on. Yeah. Um, the fact that what you can see from his tape on a weekly basis, though, is that – he wants to be a quarterback. He's not – so he's inexperienced rather than raw. And the, the, the difference, I think, is raw quarterbacks don't read coverages. They don't work through progressions. They don't hang in the pocket. They don't want to be pocket passers, or at least they might want to be, but their instinct to run and just be an athlete overrides that almost all the time. Richardson doesn't do that. Like, he, he plays the game a lot more like Lamar Jackson did – which was the narrative about him was always like, oh, he's, he was never a scrambling quarterback. He was always a guy that you used as part of the designed run game. But Lamar Jackson sits in a pocket, works through progressions, and is a cerebral passing quarterback and always has been. Richardson is a lot more like that. He just doesn't have the playing time under his belt because he's barely played. He's got a, like 300-and-something pass attempts. Um, so you just need to get him out there. Now, the problem he has working against him is – he does still seem inaccurate, and that's going to be an that, issue. That was the one I wanted to mention, too. So let's, <laughs> so, let's, oh, yeah, go ahead. Well, just like, look, the, the wanting to be a quarterback thing is important, and the being able to sort of hang in a pocket and avoid sacks and work through a progression, all of that is really good and a really good starting point. 
but you undermine it a lot if you're going to have like a 50% strike rate just in terms of hitting a target. All right, I don't have the exact stats in front of me. I have one stat, though, that you can bring, that you can bring with you to the, the Labor Day barbecue next one week. One stat. Um, so on the good side for Anthony Richardson, right? This is, this is, for every good thing, there's a, there's, yeah. a, there's a bad thing in there right. too, right? So the good things, most yards per attempt when scrambling in college football since we started tracking this stuff in 2014, 12.8. So they'll use him in the design run game, and also when plays break down, he's a creator. So that's good. He's good at avoiding sacks. Yes. Right? That's where something – Trey Lance never had that, right? So when you're comparing quarterbacks, he, the, the trait for just avoiding those kinds of negative plays, pretty good at, and that generally right. carries over. And th- those, are the, those are the things that usually the best quarterbacks have yeah. elements And this is – like it's going to be a balance, right? Because for every – so let's say his – it's trying to figure out like where are these margins going to land in terms of averages, right? Because – you know, a quarterback is going to throw for 7.5 yards per pass attempt, generally, right? But then they're also going to vary in percentage of how many times they get sacked. And when they get sacked, that's like a negative seven-yard play. But then you have a guy like Richardson who's going to take fewer of those, so fewer of those negative seven-yard plays. But he's also like 10 to 20% less accurate than these other guys. So he's leaving another bunch of seven-and-a-half-yard plays on the table by missing them, right? And it's really a case of just... When you throw 600 pass attempts or when you drop back 600 times, where are those two things going to end up? Like, which is it a net negative or a net positive relative to like the average quarterback? All right, I found the stat that I wanted to When we were doing the quarterback preview, I cherry picked just to paint a picture accuracy percentages in college mm. just because you want to see this group, right? This is the group that I picked. Justin Herbert was at 58%. Mitchell Trubisky was at 58%. This is actual ball location in college. Josh Allen was at 53%. Then Lamar Jackson at 52%. And then near the bottom of this pit list that I showed you here, Trey Lance, 47 Yeah. Anthony Richardson, 46 And my concern with Trey Lance in that 2021 draft class of that first round five quarterbacks, he was in a different world of inaccuracy plus the inexperience. Richardson right now is in a different world of ball location accuracy percentage. Now, I put Josh Allen and Lamar on this list to show they weren't great either, and they improved. <clears throat> okay? So it's possible, at the same time, Trey Lance is in the news because he just got traded, and Richardson is right in that same ballpark as Trey Lance. I'll have the same take, though. Richardson, if you use his rushing ability, if you tap into that, it'll mitigate some of this. It'll create more open throws, create bigger windows, and you can mitigate some of the accuracy issues. Yeah, it's absolutely... The, the concerning thing, if you're a Richardson fan, is that when you look at you know actual ball location-type accuracy data, the only two people who were as bad as that that were high draft picks are him and Trey Lance. And because we're literally five minutes away from Trey Lance bombing, that's not great uh, in terms of the feels. But... It's not, it is different. Like, remember, there was an adage for years, and we were part of it, that you can't fix inaccuracy. If you're inaccurate, no shot. You just, you can't do it. It's not going to get better. It's one of those things you either have or you don't. And then Josh Allen comes along and goes from one of the least accurate quarterbacks in the NFL to one of the most accurate. Apparently, you can fix accuracy. Now, whether you can do that without, you know, the circumstances that Josh Allen had or the individual coaches or whatever it is, that's a different question. But you can fix fundamental inaccuracy, which is what Anthony Richardson is dealing with at the moment. I also tend to assume that it's easier to do 
when you've only had 300 and something passes from your moment of recruiting to now than it is if you're like 2,000 pass attempts into this thing and you're, you know, fairly locked into a, uh, a mechanical process, et cetera, et cetera. But that's what he's battling against. Like, you're going to have this entire season where he just needs to get reps, and then you have to hope that he's not so inaccurate that it's, it's not a fixable thing. All right. Apologies for spending all of the Colts' time on Anthony Richardson, <coughs> but there's, it's just the, it's one of the stories of the NFL season. It's going to be awesome watching Anthony Richardson and not overreacting. As far as the rest of the roster goes, you and I have both said the offensive line woes that the Colts had last year mm-hmm. probably shouldn't be there this year. They've yep. got good players, and they probably won't all get hurt again. Uh, Bernard Ryman at left tackle was solid as a rookie, got better as the year went on by, you know, by wide margin. Braden Smith, one of the better right tackles in the league. Quentin Nelson maybe slowing down on that Hall of Fame path, but still should be a very good guard. Uh, you know, so Ryan Kelly, pretty good at center. I mean, three to four out of their starting five, we should be getting good play from. Run blocking, pass blocking, plus the added RPO game and protection yeah. from Richardson. So that should... That should be better. It should be fine. The question's going to be the playmakers, too. Michael Pittman as your wide receiver one. Josh Downs comes in as a rookie. We liked, I liked him a lot during draft season. He'll be playing out of the slot. Can Alec Pierce take that next step on the outside? He, does, he looks like a more of a flashy big play receiver, but maybe not consistent enough. He just, he just doesn't look good at the moment is, I think, the bigger problem. <laughs> Alec Pierce, I think, is becoming a concern in this offense. Like You know what you're going to get from Michael Pittman. Josh Downs, I think, will be an important player for them. Isaiah McKenzie is there as well. Alec Pierce looks like the issue. Um, he didn't didn't impress in a in a rookie year where you know what that's almost become the expectation now. If you're going to do anything in the NFL, is you kind of hit the ground running. Now, not everybody does, so you're like, all right, let's see a step forward from Alec Pierce. It's only preseason, it's only training camp, but we haven't seen it yet, and in fact, it looks like more of the same. So that's starting to look like a real potential problem spot in this offense you've also of course got the lingering specter of Jonathan Taylor demanding a trade is he going to be there like what yeah. what is the deal there yeah so as of record time right now we're live on a Monday morning Jonathan Taylor has a deadline of tomorrow Tuesday to be traded or else what I'm not sure <laughs> but he heads into the last year of his contract one of the best running backs in the NFL was maybe the best in 2021 coming off an injury riddled season we'll see what happens with Taylor Although I really want to see him in the backfield with Anthony Richardson. Because you'll have some of those games where Richardson goes, you know, like five for 17 with, you know, 120 yards on the ground and Taylor gets 150 yards on the ground and it's, it could be successful. It might be ugly but successful. And I think Jonathan Taylor in that offensive line can make that happen. Uh, defensively, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of athletes. I think the front seven can be pretty good. Quiddy Pay heads into what year three now. Uh, DeForest Buckner up front. Friend of the show. Quiddy Pay. Quiddy Pay, friend of the show. Also Shaquille Leonard, friend of the show, though that was Darius. Mm. Darius Leonard. But Shaquille Leonard comes back. We'll see what he looks like coming off of injury. The biggest question mark, though, is going to be in the secondary. Uh, they traded Stephon Gilmore this offseason, and now it's going to be, as of right now, we're looking at Daryl Baker Jr., Dallas Flowers, Darius Rush, Juju Brents, a couple rookies there, all trying to fill in 
at corner. Yeah. So the secondary is the biggest question for the Colts. Outside of Kenny Moore in the slot, that is not a confidence-inspiring group of cornerbacks. Now, it's very young. I mean, they could be starting two rookies. Like Darius Rush and Juju Brents could be starters pretty quickly. Um, but like, that's this is our standard line, right? If you're relying on multiple rookies at corner to start, you've got problems. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with that front. Grover Stewart had a really nice year last year at nose tackle. I, I'm intrigued by that group where I, I don't know how much they can mask, but when we were there in person, we said, hey, all the different body types and uh, guys that have been successful in the past. I think the front seven has potential. My biggest question is going to be in the secondary, though, for the Colts. And, of course, the overall question, what happens with Anthony Richardson? So we mentioned the Texans six and a half. Mm-hmm. Was the, the over-under for them was six and a half. Same number for the Colts. Um, they're in similar positions as they have rookie quarterbacks, but uh, and maybe, you know, solid rosters, but six and a half here for the Colts. What are you expecting here? Besides um, the unexpected. Yes, besides the unexpected. I, I feel like they're going to go under as well. I just think this year is about survival for them, um, and they might, they might not survive great for, for the beginning. I might actually go under for this. A little a touch of negativity coming from me here. Touch of negativity. Touch of negativity. We'll go under on the Colts. Um, so again, like I keep I keep thinking about this. I think they just need to rerun the um, the Jalen Hurts game plan. Like we've seen this before, right? It's it's that's what it's going to look like. It's got to be viability. Like let's just get him reps, and then year two you see a big jump forward for Richardson, and then year three probably is where you end up getting the full version of what you're going to see. Like, that's what Jalen Hurts was. And the first year of Jalen Hurts, which wasn't all him, you know, it was Carson Wentz in there as well, the Eagles won four games that year. And the Eagles probably had a better roster than the Colts do now. So, like, if that's the expectation, they're not going to win that much. All right, before we get to the Jags, we both took, uh, we both took the under here, under here? Yeah. All right, Jags are up next. But first, got to tell you about our new partner, AG1, the daily foundational nutritional sup- nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. So I've got uh, my wife sometimes, Sam, is like, hey, you got to take care of yourself. Yeah. And she'll, um, she'll give me those, all those vitamins. She'll just like pack a bunch of pills into one of those little things. It's like, hey, take these on Monday and Tuesday. She's trying to keep me like healthy. Like an old person pill dispenser yeah, we've, thing? We've dabbled a little bit. She's, she's like, hey, take care of yourself here, <laughs> husband. Don't die on me. Yeah. Um, but AG1 takes care of all that. You just drink that. It takes care of all my nutrition at the beginning of the day. Drink it in the morning and uh, just feel great. For the rest of the day. Mm. So you and I are both both drinking AG1 here. Yeah, only I don't require the old person pill dispenser. I can just, you know, grab the sachet, whack it in the water, mix it all up, down it. It's grab, easy. Grab the sachet and whack it in the water. Uh-huh. That's how simple it is. Why did I just repeat that? Anyway, all great athletes have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies. I was once one of them. And a huge part of that starts with optimizing whole body health. And a lot of them are drinking AG1 as well. That's why I'm a huge fan. With every daily serving... We're all just setting ourselves up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give us all the daily nutrients to support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. I also like that it costs less than $3 a day. That's it. Pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit that leads to great overall habits with high-quality sourced ingredients. It's a big win-win here with AG1. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. So go drink, go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1, the number one, dot com slash PFF. Go check it out. 
All right, the Jags are up next, man. Coming off with a lot of excitement in Jacksonville. The favorite to win the AFC South. Coming off a year where Trevor Lawrence finally started looking like a star right around, what, what week eight, nine, whatever that was. They get into the playoffs, have a miraculous comeback against the Chargers. Uh, played tough against the Kansas City Chiefs in a loss, but ended in a 9-8 and record last year for the Jags. They're projected for 9.7 wins here per PFF. Yeah, the favorites. They are the team to beat in this Like it's division. 1999. <laughs> like it's 99. Just like Mark Brunel to Jimmy Smith and everybody else they had all over again. Do, we, do you want a quick 99 preview? Okay. Coming off of a tough divisional loss against the Jets, the Jags went to free agency and grabbed Carnell Lake from the Pittsburgh Steelers. They bring in Dom Capers to reshake this offense. They become a defensive team right away. One of the best defenses in the – okay, well, we'll good. Yeah. We'll get Seth Payne on here again later to preview 99. Great. Yeah, that's another one of those bonus shows that I don't need to be a part of. Um, not like the, the – the, Would you pay for a Jags, 99 Jags bonus show? Just I mean, that's what the YouTube upsells are made for. Let me know. You and Seth Payne talking about a game that happened 20 years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, look, the, there's a lot of similarities between Jacksonville and Detroit. They are two usually bottom-dwelling franchises. Obviously, Jacksonville had that spike in 2017. Um, but generally, you know, they're, they're not – at the top of this division and all of a sudden they go into a season as the favorites for the division and justifiably so and now they need to adjust to that favorite tag you know trevor lawrence was drafted for this reason this was a guy being talked about as the best quarterback prospect to enter the nfl since andrew luck peyton manning john elway depends how far you want to go back but genuinely generational i mean andrew luck was 2012 so that's 10 years 20 something you know 25 basically for um for Peyton Manning and then got back to the early 80s for John Elway so that's about as generational as it gets Urban Meyer derailed that for a while with his coaching tenure um did that show up in the in the swamp documentary thing it was one of those uh text <coughs> at the bottom Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer went to the NFL. It was disastrous. Urban Meyer went on to coach Ohio State, win a national <laughs> title, go to Jacksonville, got fired, and it was Urban Meyer went on to coach in the NFL. Yes. Dot dot dot. The hero the of Swap Kings got a little text with his uh, downfall. Yeah, okay. in the last few years. Yeah. Anyway, so Urban Meyer derailed the Trevor Lawrence hype train for a while, but once he got rid of him, uh, it started to bounce back, and we saw last season what Trevor Lawrence is capable of, and now you take that. And you add Calvin Ridley to it. So the hype, I think, is justifiable. I mean, there's a reason this team is thought of as the favorite for the division. It's so funny. I mean, again, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to overreact to everything that people say to us, right? Um, we, were, we were slow to crown Trevor Lawrence, you and I in particular, right? There was a point. His first, the first year and a half of his career was not good. Trevor Lawrence, and, and not good in ways that we didn't expect. I expected a dude who was going to be dropping big-time throws in there, maybe make a few mistakes as a rookie, and it was just bad overall. Yeah. And he would show glimmers. He'd show glimmers. And as soon as somebody he showed glimmers, there were other people that jumped on and said, okay, Trevor Lawrence is getting it. He's getting it. We were slow to jump on that right. bandwagon. Now you get the other people who are like, you know, I mentioned he was a, a second-year breakout last year. I went and listed all the second-year breakout quarterbacks since Mahomes did it in 2018. There's been one per year, a guy who in his second year either became an MVP, MVP candidate, or whatever it may be. Trevor Lawrence was that guy last year. Now, it took him till week nine, and it, it was almost like a switch flipped. 
this doesn't always happen, but I saw a switch flip against the Raiders in a fourth quarter comeback situation last year in week nine where Trevor Lawrence all of a sudden started to play like the guy we thought coming out of Clemson. So I don't think I'm overreacting to say that he broke out in year two. I don't think I was overreacting to think his first year and a half was underwhelming. And I also believe, hey, he's here, okay? Trevor Lawrence is here. Now the level of here is the question. In 2023, will we be talking about Trevor Lawrence as Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen level? Will he be, you know, Jalen Hurts, we still need to see it maybe one more year, at least I do. But are we talking about Trevor Lawrence as he's in the top eight? Yeah, he's there. You know, he's Justin Herbert-ish. Yeah, we can win with him. And, and we feel really good about it. Or are we talking about elite? Like he is going to, he has a chance with a lesser Jacksonville team or a comparable Jacksonville team to go into Kansas City, to go into Buffalo, to go into Cincinnati in a playoff game and win. That's the question. I think that's the levels that we're going to be talking about with Lawrence. I think he's, he's going to be a top eight quarterback and going to give the Jags a chance to win every single week and then make a little playoff run. Yeah. I mean, I think <clears throat> he's already shown he can be at that level. The skill position players are really fun. Like, this is a good group now. They they were already okay, and then they add Calvin Ridley to that. And, you know, the Ridley's one of these receivers that may not have sort of prototypical ex-receiver skill set. Like, he doesn't look like Julio Jones. And, in fact, in the same offense, he wasn't the number one while Julio Jones was there. But he's got that elite route running, high-end speed. He's good at the catch point. Like, he's got all the sort of skills to be just a very good wide receiver. And... In a league that's sort of becoming less focused on that one alpha X receiver, like he can be your top guy. You've got a ton of targets to go around. You've got Christian Kirk, who you added already. You know, this is a good group. Evan Ingram with his breakout and then um, contract extension. Ridley, I think, can just turbocharge what was already a useful collection of receivers for Trevor Lawrence. Yes, I think that's... One of the bigger off-season off questions was the, the wide receiver one thing and having Calvin Ridley in there. That was a, a shrewd buy low, I think, by the Jags. Ridiculously good value. Yeah, so I, I, I love that. Um, I think the playmakers will be good. I think the Jags question is going to be this offensive line now. You know, there's there's a few teams that have that that, that huge question on the offensive line. You'll You'll hear when we feel good about an offensive line, it's when we list three or four starters that you're just like, Lock them in. They'll be okay. There's one weakness. Maybe there's a maybe there's a second weakness, or maybe if there's an injury, they they don't they lack the depth. The Jags might just have Brandon Scherf as the guy that we can expect good play from, and he's coming off of his worst season at right guard. So we got a little bit below average play at center by Luke Fortner as a rookie. You get Ben Barch at guard. He's okay. Left tackles Cam Robinson, but he's suspended to start the season. He's been in, he's coming off his best year pass protection, but he's still not great despite, you know, perception. Anton Harrison's going to come in as a first rounder and, and probably play right tackle. Walker Little's going to fill in at left tackle for Cam Robinson. So there might be some movement around the, those three tackles once Cam Robinson gets back. There's a lot more question marks on this offensive line than you would like to see. Now, Lawrence is also good at sack avoidance and getting rid of the ball and everything. And Doug Peterson schemes it up well, but the line. I think is the biggest question mark on this offense. Yeah, it, and it's a line that, so last year when I was doing the offensive line rankings um, every week, they were the, the, they had the biggest disparity between their grades in pass protection and run blocking of any offensive line in the NFL. Like they were the most one-dimensional offensive line in the league, and they were so much better 
from a pass blocking standpoint than they were from a run blocking standpoint. Um, but overall, so it, it, res, it results in a lot of kind of overall iffy grades generally because, you know, PFF were grading all of it in both parts. And, you know, if you're not going to grade well in the run, your overall grade is not going to look great. But the bigger point for a guy like Trevor Lawrence is the pass blocking point, right? Like you want that thing to be strong first and foremost. And if they can't block in the run game at all, it's not a deal breaker. Um, but they were they graded pretty well from a, a pass blocking point of view. Um, if that continues, then it's fine. It doesn't look great, and the name recognition might not be there, but it's fundamentally okay. Like they were top 10 last season in pass blocking efficiency over the course of the regular season, right behind a team like Baltimore, who have a you know really good pass blocking offensive line. So it definitely it doesn't look great. And, you know, you lose Cam Robinson, who's not for four games, who's not amazing, but is solid at left tackle. Like, it's already looking relatively thin and potentially not great. You're expecting Anton Harrison to start right away. That's a question mark. Like, it just, there's definitely an area of concern on the offensive line, but equally it could be fine if it backs up the pass blocking performance from a year ago. A tight end, Evan Ingram became one of the better receiving tight ends down the stretch as well, coincided with Trevor Lawrence's success. And then having Travis Etienne back again, healthy as a big play, uh, you know, space player. He's good in the pass game, creates big plays as a runner. Tank Bigsby as a rookie, change of pace back or, you know, a little, little bit more power has, has had a decent preseason. So I like all the playmakers going to have those questions on the offensive line for the Jags. On the defensive side of the ball, beginning of last year, they showed some some flashes from uh, from a defensive perspective. They've had a, a, a lot of athletic players, including Trayvon Walker, number one overall pick. But they just they didn't, were not able to to put it together for the whole season last year. It was a, it was an okay defense. It looks like a similar squad this year. But you know the question I think for me is going to be the pass rush. We've talked about that a little bit on the show here. Josh Allen continues to get better and establish himself as a good, not great pass rusher, but a good pass rusher. Who's going to be the guy opposite him? Caleb on chase on as a former first-round pick hasn't been great. Trayvon Walker was not great as a rookie, and we expected that, right? There's some, some growing to do. Can he take a step forward? Remember, Rashawn Gary took about a year and a half, kind of like Lawrence. took about a year and a half for Rashawn Gary to go from athletic project to impact pass rusher. And so that might be what you're looking for from Trayvon Walker here. It still might be a few games. He looks the same can hit the switch flip for Trayvon Walker this year because I think they need it up front. They, they don't have the best defensive tackles. They don't have the best interior pass rush. The Jags need to be able to get pressure, and it looks like just Josh Allen and friends right now. What do you expect from Walker this year? I thought last year he was he was pretty good against the run. He's the dude like beats up tight ends if you align him over a tight end. He's just he's not a good pass rusher yet. And we're looking at pass rushing from can you win? Are you winning often enough? There were signs, right? He's he's long, he's athletic. You got to you have to develop your whole move set. He's just not there yet. And when we always talked around draft time, the pushback is always, well, he'll learn, and he's he's never had to do it at Georgia. And it's like, yes, that's part of the risk. Part of the risk is not that you can never do it. It's when you've never been asked to really rush the passer and get after the quarterback three, four hundred times a year. There's a development process. So he's in the middle of this development process. And if that's going to take time as part of your rookie contract, that's inherently risky. It's, it's, not, 
it's not a good enough excuse to say he wasn't asked to do that because other guys like Aiden Hutchinson were asked to do it and did it well. So that's why that's a better play. So, yeah, I think, look, if, if Walker ever figures it out, I'm not going to be that surprised because Daniel Hunter's of the world, Rashawn Gary's of the world have done it. But I still think it's a low, it's a low percentage possibility because we haven't seen him do it yet. So it's, it's a challenge. Yeah, I, I feel like also he was he's further behind than Rashawn Gary was coming out. Like Gary, Gary was kind of overhyped because of his athleticism. Not even overhyped. He was hyped because of his athleticism, and that was the the focus. Right, is that he can become this amazing pass rusher because of this elite size and athleticism, and he eventually did. But he was so much further behind his athleticism in terms of production that we were like, well, let's tap the brakes. Maybe he's just not that great. And then he developed and became that guy. But he was much more productive in college than Trayvon Walker was, even despite the athleticism. Now, Walker is a better athlete than Gary, so I don't know how much to weigh each one of those things. But it, it, might, it might take a while for Walker. I'm not, I'm not really expecting that much from him this year. Yeah, they, so the other guys that they need to step up, Devin Lloyd, their, their other first-rounder last year, there was, there was some good, but it ended up being a below-average season for him last year. Uh, Darius Williams has played pretty solid for them at corner on the outside. Tyson Campbell had a breakout season last year at corner. So they, they need all – those are all uh, – Darius Williams isn't young, but Campbell's still young. They, they're relying on a lot of young players here on the defense. Intriguing young players who have done it, got to do it again. If they're an average defense – I think they're in the playoffs and, you know, competing. I think if, if they can become a top 10 defense by EPA per play or whatever metric you want to use, if they're a top 10 defense, then and, and Trevor Lawrence becomes the star and remains the star, then you're talking about competing with the best teams in the AFC. Yeah, they, they have, I think, more component pieces than they typically do, but it feels like the same story every year for Jacksonville, which is they need two or three players, like talented uh former first-rounders in a lot of cases. They need two or three of those guys to take a big step forward. Otherwise, they're going to have problems. Like Trayvon Walker, Devin Lloyd, Tyson Campbell took a huge step forward last year. He looks legit. If they can keep Darius Williams on the outside and playing really well where he typically does, that's a really nice cornerback tandem. Their safeties are good, but they need like one or two of those guys to really step up because Josh Allen is a good player, but he needs help. Um... You know, Aloakun is pretty good at linebacker, but he spent his entire season last year basically getting Devin Lloyd lined up. Or when it wasn't Devin Lloyd, you know, Chad Mumu was there trying to help him out. Like, he needs somebody at the linebacking group to help him as well. They just need one or two of those guys to really improve and justify the draft spot. All right, the over-under for the Jags is nine and a half. So How much are you buying in to the Jags? Are they a 10-win team in a 17-game schedule? I mean, I'm buying in. I think that they are the rightful favorite for that division. So a rightful favorite for a division should be winning 10 games. Let's give it to them over. They won the division last year with nine. Yeah. I think you'll get better play from Lawrence from start to finish. I'll go over. Uh, for the record, the 99 Jags went over. I don't know what it was, but they scored. They won 14 games. 14 and two during the regular season. So Look it. at that. Timer is up. Nailed it. Let's repeat it. Just press repeat. We're on to the Tennessee Titans. Second year in a row, I believe, we've remembered the Titans in our preview. We literally forgot them during a, a whole preview show. One yeah. Time. That was, that's challenging. It's not great. 
I mean, particularly I, when you're doing it by division. I Whatever. forgot the Texans. No, it was really like an all 32 show, and I think we forgot the Titans for something. I forgot the Texans for a, a preview on Chris's podcast, Rest yeah. in Peace. Not Chris, the, the show. Um, we forgot the Texans. That would be breaking news. That would be breaking news. <laughs> I don't think this is the way he'd want it delivered to people either. No. He texted us this morning, hey, guys, announce. Yeah. No. I don't think that's how he'd want it you know, put out there into the world. We're on to the Titans, fresh from coming to, coming to camp last week. We went to camp last week. We did. Titans camp. In Nashville. Uh, Ryan Tannehill coming back, quarterback. They were 7-10 and 10 last year. Projected to win six wins this year per PFF. It wasn't all bad the entire year, right? They were coming off of this crazy 2021 where they were the number one seed. Nothing on paper looked like they should be better than the Bills or the Chiefs, and the, but they still beat them during the regular season. They lose in the playoffs to the Bengals. And then last year, they early in the year, we expected them to just be the same team. It's Mike Vrabel as head coach. It doesn't matter. You know, he elevates all the players. And then it just fell apart in the massive losing streak down the stretch. Uh, because of injuries, we saw Malik Willis start some games. Uh, but he was uh, – they, they lost enough confidence in Malik Willis that they grabbed Josh Dobbs off the couch to win a must-win game. After like a game. Yeah. So like one game of Malik Willis and went, nope, that's not happening. And then Josh Dobbs goes, you know, plays against Jacksonville. With, they were hanging tough, and then they lose. Picks, mm. uh, I think it was a pick six or a fumble six that put Jacksonville over the top. The Jags had a fourth quarter comeback without uh, a first down, I believe it was, some kind of record, first time since 2000. So um, Titans didn't look good with a 7-10 record, but still have faith in Mike Vrabel. What are you looking for, for from Tennessee here? This, I, this is the, one of those teams that starts with the offensive line. Um, they were the worst offensive line in the NFL last season, and they are going to be fielding, what, three new starters up front? Four, is it? They changed four out of the five spots, and then the, uh, the fifth one is suspended for a while. Um, so, so there's definitely a, there's a proven track record of the offensive line that says look continuity in itself is important right maintaining five guys the same five guys actually moves the needle in terms of how good that group is going to be from one year to the next so generally speaking changing four out of five guys on the offensive line is bad but most of the time when you're changing four out of five guys it's because the five guys that started stank so you're almost certainly upgrading every single one of those spots by changing just because they couldn't get much worse from where they were a year ago um so this is what tennessee is battling now it's like how how important is theoretically upgrading four out of your five spots versus the fact that you've changed four out of your five spots and there is zero continuity right now along the offensive line then you have the added complicating factor of, well, let's look at the individual moves they made and do you actually love any of them? Um, Skaronsky, I think, is a fantastic move for them. The, the rookie tackle at a Northwestern who's going to be playing guard for them. I, I don't know if you want him playing guard, but should either way be an upgrade for them. The rest of the moves, I don't know that you love them. It, the other thing that you know, people are making a big deal or trying to figure out what was the plan this offseason for the Titans? Remember, John Robinson, the GM, was fired during the season last year, a year after being the number one seed. Right. Uh, reportedly, power struggle with him and Mike Vrabel. Vrabel unhappy that they traded A.J. Brown. We didn't love that move. Obviously, that didn't work out very well. And they made a lot of bad moves recently, personnel-wise. But this offseason, it was like, okay, you have Vrabel, still a good coach, can elevate players. Do you rebuild? You have Ryan Tannehill, older quarterback, 
still good enough, solid, but are you are you ready to move on? Should you trade Tannehill, start from scratch? And, and it's almost like every other move was we're gonna, back and forth between <laughs> between rebuilding yeah. and uh, no, we're going to compete. There, that's me with, yeah. uh, at camp. That's just, not just a, taking in taking in Titans camp there. That's not perspective either. You're actually two and a half feet taller than Ryan Tannehill. I am a lot taller than Ryan Tannehill. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins looks like a small child next to you. A little child. Yeah. Yeah. That's just me uh-huh. taking in the action. Yeah. Watching the special teamers. <laughs> really keeping an eye on the kicker situation, of which the Titans do not have one. Well, that's not, the most I'll say about the kickers. Not during. based off that evidence of practice. They literally don't have one on the roster right now, actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, every time the Titans, you know, they grab an Andre Dillard to play left tackle, unproven left tackle, but they you know, get him at a decent contract. So starter-level contract, but not breaking the bank. So it's like, all right, we're trying to find players here. And then they're the team that goes to get DeAndre Hopkins as a, as a win-now type of move, which is great. Like, that's going to make the team better, but it's just funny because they're back and forth. They get Will Levis at the top of the second. By all reports, they may have wanted him in the first if Peter Skaronsky mm. wasn't there. So you get this uh, you know, future look at the quarterback position. Man, imagine how much crap they'd be taking right now if they'd done that. If they took Levis at 11? Right, and he clearly isn't ready to start year one. Like, <laughs> that, that. I mean, I wouldn't give that to him. I would say that's fine. You take your shots at quarterback, that's fine. I don't think the Niners deserve crap, really, for the taking a swing at Trey Lance. Maybe it was too much to give up. At the time, I still would have taken Mac Jones probably over him. I thought that would have been a good fit. I got, you know, somebody yelled at me on the air when we were live saying, you know, this Trey Lance is the right move. And I said, Mac Jones is a better quarterback. That all happened. But, like, you take swings at quarterback. That's fine. I think there's a lot of revisionist history with the Trey Lance thing. Everybody like, thought that was fine at the time. He was. It's not like the. Don't the, go into it. No, it's no, not we're like not the doing rawness it. thing is surprising. We're we knew that. It. We knew he was raw. He was raw. We're not talking the Trey rawness Lance. hasn't worked out. We're not. I'm cutting Move it off. It. We're not talking Trey Lance. I'm not letting you go down that path. We're not doing it. We're talking about the Titans. we got to remember yeah. the Titans. So, yeah, I don't know what to expect here. Derrick Henry, you were impressed with him in person? Well, he's huge. Big dude. I mean, it's not, again, that's not surprising. But it's one of those things you see it in person like that dude. He's comically large. Yeah. Rid- like you, comically large. It's just ridiculous. Should have gotten me and Henry. Next you and Derrick Henry would be a proportionally in, like a proportion size uh, quarterback running back tandem. Just like at 160% relative to the way, the way it's supposed to be. Tajay Spears as the backup. Everybody loved him coming out. He is not the proportional backup like I would be. Um, but Tajay Spears, I mean, it's going to be another run-heavy offense. But, but New Hopkins, I think, massively changes everything. Like, this was a receiving core that looked problematic on paper. But it's, it's that difference that a number one guy makes where all of a sudden when now you're talking about a receiving core that – looked like a problem when somebody was number one when that guy's number two and everyone takes your step down the depth chart it suddenly looks way better like new copkins is the unquestioned number one and he looks like it already like they're like every play for the offense is going to nuke um that when Traylon burks is your number two slash gimmick guy slash deep threat to free up some space for new copkins that's that works Cheek. um yeah, Chigakonkwo at tight end, Nick Westbrook-Akina. Look at this. We got footage. Look at how professional we are. Yeah, you see? It's pretty good. Practice footage. With the drill, the yeah. helmet thing. Helmet on a stick. Yeah. But, like, when those are your number two, three, four targets in the offense, it looks way better. But I don't know if any of it matters if the offensive line is still the worst unit in the NFL, which it could be. Uh, Ryan Tannehill's career. Here's my, uh, my quick recap. He went from – Average to above average starter. He was an above average starter, right, for the for the Miami Dolphins. That was his career. 
And then in 2019, he takes over for Marcus Mariota. Let's just read his career grades. Oh, let's do that. Yeah. Let's do it. 68, 80, 75, 68, 74. He had a weird 2018 with a 45. Really weird. Out of line. But when he takes over as a starter in 2019, we have a 90 PFF grade. And then another 90 PFF grade in 2020. And an 83 in 2021. Those are the three highest grades of Ryan Tannehill's career. And some would attribute that to Derrick Henry and the Titans and Arthur Smith and the play action and all these things. It was A.J. Brown. It was the wide receiver one that Ryan Tannehill had never had. In Miami, they tried. Mike Wallace will be his deep threat. That'll open up the deep ball for Tannehill. He went from, he was just a solid quarterback his whole career in Miami. And I'm not saying he was a carry-the-team elite quarterback. He was a run-heavy offense, play-action-heavy but I have a wide receiver one who opens up everything else, and Ryan Tannehill is a good, accurate quarterback who can hit open throws, and he did that for three play, three straight years for the Titans, his three best years. Last year, A.J. Brown's gone. He's a 74 again. To me, that's pretty straight. And, as, and then Jalen Hurts goes from below average starter to MVP race, A.J. Brown in Philadelphia. That simple, huh? Yeah, it's that simple. When you have mid-tier quarterbacks give you all the A-B analysis that you need. Yeah. Mid-tier quarterbacks give that to you. So my question now for the Titans, can DeAndre Hopkins get Tannehill back? I don't think Hopkins at this point in his career is as impactful as A.J. Brown, but he's still really, really good. And if he takes the attention away, as you mentioned, that opens things up for Traylon Burks as a two, Chigakwankwo as a tight end. You run, the, you run the ball, work play action, put Tannehill in position to succeed. The Titans who feel like they're in this weird spot of rebuild and they're old and they're competing and they're thinking to the future could be really good and I, I honestly think that just adding DeAndre Hopkins to the mix and pushing everybody down the depth chart will give them that opportunity to just win 10 games and maybe make a playoff push because Vrabel's still the head coach and they're solid otherwise you don't think that any part of Tannehill's decline was suddenly operating behind the worst offensive line in the NFL last year they weren't great pass blocking the years before too you talked about they were the, a hell of a lot better than last no year. you talk about the different of, of course there's other factors in there too and I'm oversimplifying things but I think that's a huge factor because they, the, one of the, uh, 2020, I believe it was, they were a bottom five pass blocking offensive line and a top five run blocking line. The Titans have had the biggest discrepancy between pass and run for the entire Derrick Henry era here. They've been pretty good in the run game and not great from a pure pass protection standpoint, in addition to just being protected by the heavy play action game and everything. So I think Tannehill, a little wide receiver one dependent like other mid-tier quarterbacks. We'll see what happens here. Okay. Defensive side of the ball. Kind of like their defensive line. Jeffrey Simmons leading the way. Freshly paid. $23.5 million a year. Game wrecker up front. But T.R. Tart, Danico Autry has uh, been rejuvenated late in his career here in Tennessee. It's a pretty solid front there. Harold Landry comes back off injury. They bring in Arden Key, Rashad Weaver. They got some players, I think, in the front seven. Uh, from, or at least from a defensive line pass rusher perspective. I think it's going to be the back seven linebacker questions, and then secondary questions for the Titans. Yeah, I'm excited to see what Arden Key can do. Um, basically, looks like they're going to give him a full-time gig for the first time since the very start of his career when he was quite clearly not capable of doing that. Um, he's the poster child for these long, lean edge rushers that thrive in college where you can just be better athletes than the guys trying to block you. And then you get to the NFL – 
And now you got to try and do the same trick against legitimate offensive tackles at this level who are as long as you and outweigh you by like 100 pounds. Um, Arden Key just couldn't hold up early in his career in that role. And then I think packed on some weight, just generally better understood how he was able to get it done and became like a really good situational pass rusher over the last couple of years for a few different teams. And the Titans have seen that and said, all right, he looks like a different player than earlier, earlier in his career. Let's see if he can be a full-time player again. So he's going to get a shot now, which doesn't tend to happen to guys, to sort of go back to being the player that he was supposed to be when he was drafted. Harold Landry coming back obviously should be a, a, a good edge rusher as well. Jeffrey Simmons on the inside. That's a really good defensive front. But um, the questions are going to be on the back seven. And I, don't, I, I think they're solid. Like, this is a classic example of a, a group that you expect Mike Vrabel to get the most out of. Like the combination of Christian Fulton, Roger McCreary, Sean Murphy Bunting, Amani Hooker, Kevin Byard, that's a good group of defensive backs. Sure, linebacker is a question mark. Um, Aziz Al-Shahir should be good. Who else is starting with him is a bit of a question, but if that's where your weakness is in a defense, that's where I would want it to be. Like right in the middle at linebacker where the difference between I've never heard of this guy, and he's just league average. Is not that big. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the Texans, where I think the potential's there in the secondary with Kevin Byard anchoring things. Amani Hooker, come, you know, he was a little bit worse last year than he was previously, but they have a bunch of players who have played well at given at given points. Sean Murphy Bunting comes in from the Bucks. Caleb Farley, all the injury concerns that you had at draft time that were reported at draft time have essentially come true there for Farley. Is he ever going to be able to? relive his potential I was a huge Elijah Molden fan coming out and he was pretty good as a rookie before getting hurt last year I think there's more potential in in this secondary than say the, the, the there's fewer questions than say the Colts and some of the other teams that we've yeah. talked about so um yeah I, I don't know how to feel about the Texans because it's you know most teams come out of the offseason and I really believe there's only like four or five teams that you just feel more negative toward almost every other team you can talk yourself into being positive the titans it's a little bit harder to do that this offseason unless new copkins is really the dude that makes everything else go on offense um, but i'm a big mike vrabel believer i think they'll be better than the seven wins last year you know we'll see if he can bounce back from that over under seven and a half here yeah i mean they've improved in a couple of areas even with the question marks about the offensive line. And again, theoretically, they should have improved the offensive line significantly. Changing four out of the five players on the worst line in the NFL should make it better. The question is how much better, and is it still going to be a problem? So I, I definitely think Tennessee is – it has the makings of being one of those rosters that you know, might not look great on paper, but Mike Vrabel tends to get the best out. And then the only question is – is it going to be one of those teams where the offensive line undermines everything? And there's a few of those throughout the NFL. I generally think it's not going to be good, the line, but it probably won't be disastrous the way it was a year ago. I have, we're moving on to the Atlanta Falcons, but uh, NFL fashion advice on Twitter uh-huh. tells me an elite jersey choice. Now, I'm assuming he's talking to me. You could be talking about the Uganda rugby jersey. Could be actually. Yeah, we should clarify. I don't. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to presume anything. What was the over under for Tennessee? Oh, seven and a half. Did you pick one? I said, I'm going to okay. take over. Over. Yeah, let's go over. Over seven and a half's not. That's yeah. Not I'll go over. They uh, Tannehill stay healthy. 
Daniel's 35. Him and Russ, yeah. they're in that. And he can still scoot. We saw some plays in, uh, in practice. Yeah. Former receiver. Took off and, you know, made some plays on the ground. They should think about running that guy a bit. He's got some wheels. We are officially 87.5% of the way through all of our previews. Yeah? Seven out of eight divisions done. We're on to the NFC South, starting with the Atlanta Falcons. Hashtag fun to watch, Atlanta Falcons. Mm. They were competitive last year. Yep. Year three here for Arthur Smith. Remember, they were competitive. We were sitting there. The NFC South was so wide open early in the year. It's like, yeah, the Falcons are hanging tough. They could do some damage. They had Marcus Mariota starting, but Desmond Ritter eventually took over. And now as we head into the year, this group of playmakers with year two of Drake London at wide receiver, Kyle Pitts at tight end heads into year three, and Bijan Robinson with the number, what, eight overall pick. Comes into play running back. 7-10 and 10 team last year. The Falcons projected to win 6.5 here by PFF. But a uh, an extreme run team last year. There were two teams that were extreme run heavy. The Chicago Bears and the Atlanta Falcons. And when you live in the extremes, this is kind of you know also part of Arthur Smith and Tennessee. They lived in the extreme of run heavy when he was calling the plays with Derrick Henry and the Titans. When you live in the extreme, it's a little different, right? For teams to match up against, you're trying to win games in different ways. The Falcons have that intriguing group of playmakers, deep running backfield, maybe maybe the deepest backfield in the NFL. And like the Texans earlier, they've added talent to the defensive side of the ball where they needed a lot of help. So Atlanta, are they going to be sneaky good this year? Yeah, they had four running backs last year, average 4.8 yards per carry or better. And then they add Bijan Robinson to that group who is insanely good. Um, you know, there was a little bit of pushback the longer the process went of people going, yeah, maybe Bijan's not that good. He's good, but is he really that good? Who are you talking to? Who are there you were seeing people this from? saying that. There were people that started That one guy back. that always talks up the wrong prospects, we can't add him no, to the mix. there were people okay. that said that the later we went, that, look, he might not, not be mention amazing. He's just good. He's special. Like, this is the point. Bijan isn't just good. He's special. Um, you saw that from his very first preseason carry. You see it anytime you turn on the tape in college. It might not, like, he makes it, he has an ability to make it look easy, which I think uh, belies how special he is. And I think caused some people to say, oh, he's not that special. Like, he's special. And not just that, but he's going to make this offense look amazing on the ground, but he's also a real factor in the passing game. I mean, there was that ridiculous sort of sequence of training camp videos where he was going back and forth with Troy Anderson in one-on-ones. But, you know, we saw it in preseason as well. Like, there's an off-target pass. He just plucks it out of the sky one-handed. He's going to be a factor in the passing game as well. So you've got an incredible group of pass-catching playmakers with Kyle Pitts, Drake London, Bijan Robinson, Cordero Patterson, these guys that collectively make catching the football look really easy and off-target catching the football look really easy, which may be a factor for Desmond Ritter. Um, but those guys should cook. They're going to run the ball probably more than any other team in the NFL. They were the only team in the league last year to call run plays more often than pass plays. The offensive line still looks like a real force, um, particularly for a run-heavy type of offense. The offense should be good if Desmond Ritter is anything other than a catastrophe. I made this statement a couple shows ago, right? If you put Ryan Tannehill at quarterback here, who we just talked about, I'd feel great about the Falcons. Yeah. I think I'd feel really good about the Falcons. Nothing against Desmond Ritter, 
But I'm just, he's an unknown. If he was not great as a rookie, like any rookie, you could you could point to some positives and some good plays. He's just an unknown. And if you definitely if you knew that you can get mid-level quarterback play with this team, the way they run the ball, the way their scheme works, I think the scheme has what has helped Caleb McGarry at right tackle go from pretty much first round bust to a pretty good right tackle. Like the scheme has played to McGarry's strengths. Chris Lindstrom became the highest paid guard in history because the scheme is putting him in position to succeed. Not because he's not good. He's a good player, but I think the outside zone scheme and the way they're, they're running things has elevated the offensive line. Arthur Smith deserves a lot of credit for that. I know he takes a lot of crap from fantasy owners because Kyle Pitts doesn't have you know, targets and touchdowns, and maybe they're not using <laughs> his you know, production. Maybe they're not using his skill set. Yeah. But the goal, like when Arthur Smith says the goal is to win games, like that is, the, that is true. Now maybe you should rethink. You could rethink the number four overall pick and mm. picking a player that doesn't fit the thing you're going to do to win games. But that is the goal: win games, move the ball on offense. And the Falcons are doing it in a different way because they're playing to the strengths of their players other than Kyle Pitts. Um, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that so in this in this world of like teams don't really treat preseason seriously, um, it is an area to get some form of reps that are probably better than practice reps four quarterbacks that have zero experience so you know we had that discussion with Trey Lance that you cut off should should Trey Lance have just been given the entire preseason because he needs the reps Desmond Ritter had 10 dropbacks in preseason so far for a guy that we've basically not seen play in the NFL feels like he's a guy that you might want to have lean on let's try and get him some actual game reps yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to handle that either way. We, we, I always reference the Jared Goff first preseason with Sean McVay. McVay was so extreme with not playing his starters. Even uh, but he's all, Jared like, Goff had one of the worst rookie seasons of all time, and he still wasn't getting reps. Yeah, but that's been next year. That's a McVay staple, right? His, his guys just don't play in preseason. Never have, never will. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, that's the big unknown. And not to sound like a broken record, but if the quarterback's an unknown, you're – your prospects for the season are an unknown. Um, I know you've said too you're you're back and forth between being a Taylor Heineke guy or not, but could, Taylor Heineke would be intriguing with this group because, like he did with Terry McLaurin, he'll yolo balls up there, right? He'll yolo some to Kyle Pitts, he'll yolo them up to Drake London and let those guys work. I'm not saying Ritter can't do that, but Ritter gives them a better chance for success, I think, because because of the unknown factor and he's shown some stuff, but. See what happens. Ritter's going to be the key with the Falcons. Everything else around him, I'm not saying it's the best supporting cast in the NFL, but it's fun. It oh. is fun, and they can exploit defenses. I don't know how they're going to use Bijan. I don't think you need to line Bijan out wide 15 times a game just to justify his existence, but you can tap into that like Texas did, put him in the slot, put him out wide, and create mismatches. There are mismatch creators on this offense in Atlanta. Everybody it's going to be on Desmond Ritter. Yes, it's going to be on Desmond Ritter to spread the ball and do that. Even John U. Smith coming back to Arthur Smith. Yeah. Um, Patriots used him as a run blocker. Right. Everybody, he's not good at run blocking. Like he's a good receiving tight end. They've got mismatches everywhere on this offense. Right. Basically, everybody in that offense is a walking mismatch. I mean, you have nobody that can match up with Kyle Pitts. Drake London is a uh, high-pointing like catch point savant in terms of how he catches the ball. Cordell Patterson, the Falcons are the only team to figure out like how to deploy him and create him as a mismatch. Like everybody there is a problem to match up with on defense. All right. Defensively, the talent on the Atlanta 
defense. You know, maybe I'm overrating a guy like Calais Campbell, who's almost our age. Maybe I'm overrating, you know, Jesse Bates coming in. That's where they spent the money. But they they looked bad on paper last year. They were bad on. They were. I mean, they, they were, were bad, bad on paper. Bad on they, paper. They, they battled. They bad maybe the overachieved field. a little bit. Much better this year. Incremental improvements. They paid a lot of money for Caden Ellis to come in from the Saints as a linebacker. Grady Jarrett actually has some friends up front on the defensive line. Now, I don't know what to expect from Bud Dupree coming in. We've never been big Bud Dupree fans, but he's making $3 million a year. Oh, I know what to expect. Okay, great. Um, Arnold Ebicady, guy that I love, model guy. Older model guy, but, you know, showed some pretty good stuff as a rookie. He heads into year two. Zach Harrison as a rookie edge. We'll see what – there's – there's a lot more talent and depth yeah. on this side, especially in the secondary where Jesse Bates comes in to join A.J. Terrell and Richie Grant. No, I mean, they threw a lot of resources at this defense, and it desperately needed it. They had problems. I mean, they had no talent anywhere on this defense other than Grady Jarrett, effectively. They've completely overhauled this group. and David Onyemata comes in. Yeah, and they've thrown, um, you know, they had draft picks from a year or so ago, like guys like Epichetti who can step forward and, and become a much better player this year. He's had a really good preseason so far. You know, again, we're in this world of expectations for rookies to be immediate impact players. It doesn't always go that way, particularly for defensive linemen. Year two, year three actually makes sense. So now David Onyemata, Grady Jarrett, Calais Campbell, Arnold Epichetti, that's a group that theoretically can play up front. Um A.J. Terrell has had an inconsistent time in the NFL. I don't know how much of that is his fault versus dude had no help either. Um, Jeffrey Akuda, I think, was a really nice buy-low type of prospect. This hasn't worked out as a top draft pick, the number three overall pick. Um, but last year it was playing okay. So, you know, Jeffrey Akuda is your number two. They've got some players in the slot that can play. Jesse Bates, Richie Grant, safety. Like, this is a much, much better defense than it looked a year ago, than it was a year ago. It's just a, it's a better mix of young players like Ebicady and <clears throat> Troy Anderson, who you want to see more from. Uh, veterans who, have, who are getting paid, David Onyemata, Jesse Bates. And then the, you know, Mike Hughes, another former first-rounder that you know, has played solid football over the last few years. And then, like you said, the buy low on Jeffrey Okuda. It's just a better mix of all, is the, all of those types of players on the defensive side of the ball. So, look, we're talking about the NFC South. The Falcons are the first team. When you look at the NFC South schedule, all the schedules look easy for all the teams. So the Falcons should be able to do a little bit of damage there. Offensively, we mentioned how exciting they look. Can't wait to see how they fit B. John Robinson in. And of all the teams that didn't look like they needed a running back, like the Falcons didn't look like they needed a running back. But they still added – to the mix. I mean, they didn't need a running back. Like, they didn't. Quite clearly didn't need a running back. Right. Every, everybody was, was good back there. Algier was – like you mentioned this with Gus Edwards. Remember, Gus Edwards goes undrafted, averages five yards per carry for the Ravens, and then they go and draft J.K. Dobbins in the second round the next year. If any team had learned, maybe he could put – not anybody back there, but you could grab a fifth-round rookie like Algier mm-hmm. and get a ton of production out of him. With Patterson there as well. like With Cordero Patterson there. You could get a ton of production out of a former wide receiver and a fifth-round running back. And then they still go and say, nope, we're getting the, the elite running back. Again, I'm not commenting on the quality of the move either way, but it's interesting to see that they're taking a strength and trying to make it an even bigger strength because that's, what, that's the way they play. And they're going to feel like the run game is going to be the only chance for Desmond Ritter to protect him to create the play-action opportunities for Drake London, for Kyle Pitts, and all of those mismatched playmakers we talked about. 
If they played that controlled game on offense, it'll help this defense that's already, as we mentioned, improved and incrementally better in a whole bunch of spots. Makes the Falcons a pretty pretty solid sleeper here in the NFC with an easy schedule. The one thing I really want to see from them in year two of Desmond Ritter is I want to see them using him as part of the design run game more. Um, they they basically they didn't do that at all last season effectively. Um, they he he would scramble, but Marcus Mariota had the plays you know in the the zone read type of things like design quarterback plays rushing wise. Desmond Ritter isn't as athletic as Marcus Mariota, but he's not that far behind. Like that dude runs a four five forty. He's an athlete. Let him be part of that game. Like do it in the the way the Seahawks did with Russell Wilson when Marshawn Lynch was there, right? Have it just as a threat that the defense needs to respect, and as soon as they're not respecting it, take advantage of it. But don't take it off the table completely because it helps everybody. He ran for, I don't have the no play filter on here, he ran for over 700 yards in three out of four years at Cincinnati. So he can run a little bit. Yeah. Ritter. And so, yeah, you with just like need... a four five eight forty. Yeah. Like he's more than athletic enough for that to be – a, a threat that you have to respect as a defense. And, and what you're describing is not you're not running downhill power and no. counter with him. You're just keeping him as part of the keeper game. You're running zone all the time. All you do is use him as part of the keeper game, keep one, one guy honest, and that's it. That's part of the reason why they were so successful last year because Mariota could at least do that even though he wasn't you know, right. hitting throws. All right, over-under is 8.5 here for the Falcons. 8.5 now because we're, we're into the NFC South where the – Schedules are a lot easier. Uh, over. Yeah, I'm going to keep my Falcons optimism. Let's go over. I think they can win nine so this year. Just last year, Desmond Ritter had three designed rushing yards. Working him out as a, as a passer. Yeah. Working on the pass game. That's, I mean, Marcus Mariota had 249. Yeah, we'll see if they unveil that this year. Because I, I, I think they'll need it. Let's go over. Let's assume they do and go the over for the Falcons. Three more teams here, Sam. Carolina Panthers are up next. Biggest story of the offseason is their power move, trading up to number one overall with the Chicago Bears mm. to go get Bryce Young, a team that had been treading water at quarterback for a while. Remember two years ago they had no draft picks. They were rumored to maybe want Kenny Pickett at six. Maybe that could have been a good play. Yeah. Kenny Pickett, you didn't like it at the time. You were making fun of him. Uh, but Kenny Pickett at six, but they didn't draft until the fourth round. They get Matt Corral. But this is the year they went and got their quarterback, Bryce Young, number one overall. They're coming off a seven-win season in Carolina. Um, seven wins was enough to be competing for the division late in the year. Um, 7.3 projected wins this year. A roster, Matt Rule's out. Frank Reich is in. And so a lot of turnover here in Carolina. A team that played much better last year than they had in the previous couple of years, but still just not enough, missing something. And uh, we'll see what the new regime looks like here. Yeah, a team that went really aggressive this offseason, was patient with their quarterback spot for the last couple of years, and then ran out of patience and went and did something really aggressive to go get their guy. Um, and, of course, the flip side of that is you, if you don't do that, you could be a team like the Raiders – who decided to be patient and not aggressive and ended up without a chair when the music stopped. Um, so, look, I, I always think it's a, a solid move to identify who you want go get them aggressively. They went after and got Bryce Young. And Bryce Young, I think, looks okay so far in preseason. Limited 
sample, um, but we're seeing a lot of the same things we saw from college, which is good anticipation, able to make guys miss in the backfield really easily. Like he's got some of that early career Russell Wilson to his game where one edge rusher coming towards him, he's able to make that guy look ridiculous without thinking about it. Um, He's got accuracy. He's got enough of an arm. I worry about how that offensive line has looked so far in preseason. It's not necessarily been the starting group the whole way, but Iki Aquanu in particular at left tackle has looked like crap so far. Um, like Aquanu, top draft pick, a guy that's a really good run blocker. His pass blocking has been up and down, but like he needs to step it up given what's been happening so far in preseason. But overall, I think you know Bryce Young can function within that offense if the offensive line lets him. Iquano was interesting as a rookie. He did. He was a better run blocker than pass blocker coming out of yeah. NC State. Last year, his grades were almost identical in both. 67 pass blocking grade, 64 run blocking grade. It's pretty good for a rookie. Pretty good rookie season. But you're right. It's been a little troublesome so far this preseason. A lot of it, look, I think Bryce Young, because of where the Panthers have been as a roster, two years ago, remember, the offensive line was one of the worst in the NFL. I mean, one of the worst that we had seen in a while. They have tried to creep back to an average. They're kind of, you know, they're working their way. The playmakers, because they just traded DJ Moore and because they you needed DJ Moore to go get Bryce Young, you're not looking at this group of receivers, Adam Thielen at, at the tail end of his career, DJ Chark, who's just been this, you know, one-year stopgap type of receiver over the last few years for multiple teams, LaVisca Chenault, who's only really been a change-of-pace type of player, and, and not developed as a true all-around receiver. Terrace Marshall, who has not taken the big step forward that people were hoping for for a couple of years now. And your guy Jonathan Mingo comes mm. in as a guy who I think is a size-speed threat who doesn't – he's not the most polished receiver, right? He's not going to be – he shouldn't be a high-volume receiving threat. The collections – the collection can be okay, but it's not a great group of receivers. It's not a great offensive line. We yeah. like Bryce Young quite a bit as a prospect. I think the receivers. But I think there'll be a challenge here. Yeah, the receivers might struggle a bit year one as well. Um, you know, it's it's clearly the downslope of Adam Thielen's career. He's he's probably going to be the best guy they have. Like he's at least the one that knows how to be in the right place at the right time. John, I like having that guy. By the way, I sure. Think year one, Andrew Luck had old Reggie Wayne who was just possession guy, right place, right time, and it was like right. dependable one-year guy. I think Adam Thielen can be that for Bryce Young. I'm From looking at his preseason, I'm starting to feel that Mingo might go the way of Sky Moore year one in terms of it's going to be year two and beyond. Like He's got the size. He's got the speed. He can make plays with the ball in his hands, but there's been, a, there's been half a dozen at this point plays where – He's clearly not on the same page as Bryce Young, and I think it's Mingo's fault <laughs> as opposed to Bryce Young's based on the play. Like he's either hesitating in the route or he cuts it off or he runs the wrong depth and the ball looks like it's inaccurately thrown. But actually, I think, you know, Mingo has just run the route too deep, those kinds of things. Um, that I mean, that's not going to work if you want to be like the number one receiver in this team, which is there to be taken, by the way. Like if he had a season where he hit the ground running and was immediately – you know, an elite high-end receiver, there's no reason he couldn't be the number one here because he's got the most physical talent of anybody on the team. Um, he wasn't I just, a high-volume guy at Ole Miss, though. I mean, I, I would just play to Mingo's strengths. And all his elite yeah. plays last year were downfield, you know. Right. But the point being, the field type of play. right now he looks like he's not ready to be that guy yeah. 
of course, it's preseason. It's a handful of plays. Maybe those are just the five bad plays he needed to get out of his system, whatever. Um, but the, if he's not that guy, now you have a receiving core that's like one-dimensional deep threat DJ Chark, the ghost of Adam Thielen, and what else? That's not great either, particularly when your offensive line looks like a problem. Now you've got, you know, unprecedentedly small quarterback working behind a terrible offensive line with nobody open to throw to. That is worrying. There could be some ugly games in there because of all that. Yeah. And I don't know if this year is – look, it's not, it doesn't look disastrous around Bryce Young. We'll, maybe. We'll see. It doesn't look disastrous around him. I don't think we're going to come out of this year like we did with Justin Fields saying, I don't know what I just saw. I don't know if I can evaluate this quarterback in this type of situation. I don't think we're talking about that with Carolina. There's, there's a range of outcomes where the offensive line is average, right? It could be. Um, you need you know Bradley Bozeman to bounce back and Brady Christensen to take a step forward. He's one of my breakout players, right? As a left guard, he's the type of guy that would break out here in year three. Um, Moton solid at right tackle, but yeah, it's it's a it's an okay supporting cast for Bryce Young in year one. It's interesting to me that Frank Reich comes in and I think the weakness for the Colts five years running here has been the receivers. We said that every, when when Carson Wentz came in. When Matt Ryan came in, it's like, if you're going to maximize these guys, you got to get dudes on the outside. Because Carolina had to invest so much just to get Bryce Young, and they were already working from a talent deficit, it's a next-year thing. You know, Next year, it's got to be, all right, get the elite playmakers for Bryce Young. For now, Miles Sanders comes in to maybe you know, take the workload at running back. They're talking about throwing the ball to him a little bit more out of the backfield. I think they're, just, they're stitching it together, going to figure out what works. Hayden Hurst comes in. As a free agent, you know, he's been a, you know, he's a pretty good, you know, solid tight end option, but not a shouldn't be your shouldn't be one of your top two options in a in a good offense. But Bryce Young, I want to see his playmaking ability. I want to see his ability to, you know, throw the ball accurately to all levels of the field. And we're gonna watch how he throws to the middle of the field and see if that height thing that everybody talked about will actually affect him at the NFL level. Yeah. Um, no, I think there's enough there for us to get an, an idea of what Bryce Young is going to be, but I, I don't know that there's enough there for him to actually look really good right away. How about defensive side of the ball for Carolina? Derek Brown has established himself as one of the best defensive tackles in the league. It's, it's such an interesting group of defensive tackles that have entered the league over the last three years. Derek Brown might be the only good starter that college has given to the NFL in three years off the top of my head. Um, Derek Brown being the, the guy in the middle. Frankie Louvu, one of the most underrated players in the NFL. Shaq Thompson, pretty good linebacker. I think my question, like a few other teams, it's going to be the secondary. J.C. Horn, when he's healthy, looks really, really good. They bring in Von Bell, Xavier Woods. There are some players who have had success there. Jeremy Chins played a lot of different roles there. What are your thoughts on the defense here for the Panthers? Didn't even mention Brian Burns as a pass rusher, too. So there's talent here. They played really well at times last year yeah and they're sort of shifting the group around a little bit um Derek Brown Brian Burns interior edge rusher guy up front that's a really good duo they they were the team that, br that brought in Justin Houston this year you know the like every year somebody's going to bring in Justin Houston a team in need of 40 pressures in the season and and it upgraded their edge two spot yeah it upgraded like him as the guy opposite Burns they kind of needed that no, absolutely. Um, like, Justin Houston is a good addition if you have a problem on the edge. He's still able to get it done. Like, I think his career is a little strange in that it felt like we started calling time on it very early. Um, 
but he just kept like he's only you know a little bit older than Von Miller but it feels like he's been old for like a decade at this point um, but he's still a good solid pass rusher certainly from a situational standpoint if you can limit him to those plays I think he's a really good player to have as part of your rotation um, and then you have that back seven group which a ton of this I think depends on how whether he can stay healthy and how well J.C. Horn can play because I think that's still kind of an unknown like his career stats for coverage are still insane but part of that is just how much he's played and how little he's actually been tested when you look at the Panthers depth chart there's almost all of their starters are making between four and eight million a year it is now it's because guys like Derek Brown need to get their big contract and maybe Frankie Louvu is going to get a big contract and J.C. Horn will get a big contract. They're, they're about to lock up. Ryan Burns is due as well. So they're about to lock up their pillars of the defense going forward. But I think it, I, I kind of like how they've built it with a few of those pillars. Um, a guy like Luvu has broken out and, and just solid around that. Uh, of course, Henry Anderson on the roster as of right now as well. Injured right now, I think. Right? Another, another show favorite. Hopefully Henry can keep playing for another 15 years to have somebody to root for here. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't have strong takes either way for the Panthers, right? They've got – I think Brian Burns is an interesting guy who is still not good against the run but is a good pass rusher. I think he's, he's one of those guys where we might uh, push back a little bit about him being elite and the idea that maybe the Rams were going to give up two first-round picks for Burns, I'd maybe question that move or maybe it ended up being good for the Rams to, to not make that move last year. But Burns is the guy that – I know everybody around Carolina thinks is the catalyst and the you know the guy that they build around from a defensive perspective. He's a very good pass rusher. I think they might just have to limit him on early downs as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, I think he has elite ability, certainly as a pass rusher, as a speed guy in particular. Um, and, you know, you can debate how much of that can constitute or can, um, can make up an elite player. Like how good can just being a good pass rusher get you in terms of an edge rusher? Or do you need to have the ability to play the run, et cetera? Um, and then the the big question, not even question, the interesting thing I think to watch this defense is going to be the deployment of Jeremy Chin, who's been that sort of chess piece throughout his NFL career um, in, you know, not the same defense every single year. How are they going to use him? Is he going to still move around a little bit or is he going to be limited much more to a specific, this is what you're doing, this is your role, you're not going to deviate that much. All right, my, my overall take on the Panthers, I know they showed flashes last year, end up with seven wins. They're, they're a team that is, is still kind of in transition, but they got their quarterback to build around. So we know they're going to be pumping resources all around the quarterback over the next year or two. I think that makes them a year away. Over under for the Panthers, seven and a half here. Um, I, I was higher on them until I actually went through their roster and thought about it a bit. I, I feel like they're going to go under. That, that offense is starting to concern me now around Bryce Young. Yeah, I feel like I was almost making excuses for the receiving core early in the offseason as well. And as that's played out, I'm just like, man, it does feel like the other Frank Reich offenses where I'd look at the, I would look at the Colts a few years ago and say, there's no way they're going to be better than Bottom 10 is a, is a receiving core. Even if Adam Thielen has a career rejuvenation, can this be a 
better than a bottom 10 group of pass catchers. I don't know if they have that. I, and that's a, I think that's going to be a huge weakness when you pair it with the O-line. Yeah, like I, I liked it when I had confidence that Mingo could come in day one and be an impact player. I'm not sure that's the case, having watched him in preseason. I, I still think he can be that guy down the road, but I think it might take a year to get him you know, where he needs to be. All right, I'll also go under on the 7.5 here for the Panthers. New Orleans Saints up next. Saints with uh, Derek Carr coming in. Remember the Derek Carr sweepstakes. While Aaron Rodgers was in darkness, teams were wooing Derek Carr. The Raiders were moving on from Derek Carr, but other teams were wooing. And if Carr ended up in the AFC, it wouldn't be that exciting, but he ends up in the NFC South, where now he's the best quarterback (laughs) in the division. Saints starting offense has looked really sharp in the preseason for whatever that's worth. Coming off a seven-win season, Dennis Allen was the first-year head coach last year, first time with the Saints as a head coach. But we've got them projected for 10 wins. We've got a lot of confidence. You see these win totals, the projected wins for the NFC South, pretty high because of the schedule. And the Saints, the, the phrase I've used for a few years now, with Dennis Allen on that defensive side of the ball, capable of playing championship-caliber defense. So we'll talk a little bit about the offense here. Defensively, there's been a lot of turnover on the defensive line. They're trying to replenish that with some youth. Still a lot of nice pieces, though, here in New Orleans. So can Derek Carr get the Saints back on track? Yeah, I mean, this offense should be pretty good. Um, their offensive line was was had issues at times last season, but the healthy starting five, I think, is a pretty good group. Trevor Penning, remember, was supposed to be the left tackle last season, got hurt basically didn't feature at all. I think the final game of the season maybe was his only start at left tackle. Um, Once he got back healthy, they were using him as like an auxiliary sixth offensive lineman. But now, you know, Trevor Penning at left tackle, Hurst or Andres Pete can can both man the guard spot. Eric McCoy, Cesar Ruiz has been playing better recently than than the start of his NFL career. And then Ryan Ramchek is still one of the best right tackles in the NFL. That should be a good starting five, not even just okay. Um, Derek Carr, again, is a good quarterback. He's not great, and when you have to defeat a bunch of great quarterbacks, that's not a great starting spot, but he's a good quarterback. And then you look at the receiving core, the big, you know, the X factor is, what are we going to get from Michael Thomas? This is a guy who's now been injured for, like, years straight. Um, But every time he's been back on the field, he still looks like Michael Thomas. So... If you can just guarantee that he's going to be around for the majority of the season, that creates a receiving core of whatever Michael Thomas is right now. Chris Olave, who looked really good as a rookie. Rashid Shahid, who has become, I think, a much bigger part of that offense as soon as they discovered what they had in him. Juwan Johnson, a tight end. Um, the running backs they have, Alvin Kamara, once he gets back. like That's a really, really good group of skill position players across the board behind an offensive line that should be good, this should be a good offense. Derek Carr's career, again, whatever narrative you want is probably true. Is he a QB that's good enough to win with? Yes. Is he a quarterback that you can't win with? Yes. They're both true somehow. That's your your middle-tier quarterback. That's Derek Carr. He's had years where he's been a top-10 quarterback. Production-wise, grade-wise, stats, PFF war. He's had years where he was closer to 20. So that's what happens. That's what happens, and that's what Derek Carr is. But the years where he's good, it coincides with having an Amari Cooper, 
having uh, a Nelson Aguilar as a deep threat that, that just you know randomly broke out that one year. It coincides with Darren Waller being healthy. It coincides with the playmakers. The Saints, you just rattled them off. The Saints have that infrastructure for Derek Carr to have one of those top 10 caliber seasons. For everything you just mentioned, I think Chris Olave is a star. And if he, just as a one-two punch, Chris Olave and Michael Thomas, if Olave gets to be the all-around star and Michael Thomas just becomes uber possession guy again and stays on the field with Shahid as the deep threat, Jawan Johnson, anytime you've got a former wide receiver who's become a tight end and stayed in the league, they're a weapon. Jawan Johnson was a weapon last year. Jimmy Graham is out there turning back the clock. Stop it. Jimmy Graham is mossing people down the field. Jimmy Graham and people down the field even and in the red zone. Just do that. See what happens. Offensive weapon Taysom Hill is still there. I'm just saying the infrastructure is in the place for Derek Carr to have a big season. Now, somebody's got to figure out why. Last year was the worst grade he had. It was the worst season he had since his rookie year. Right? As much as he had been in the middle of the pack for his career, he dropped last year. First year with Josh McDaniels, was that the reason? He had Devontae Adams. You know, it's, it wasn't as clear. He lost all his receivers. It was just a new system with Josh McDaniels. That was it. And he dropped off. But I expect Carr to bounce back. I think he's got the infrastructure to bounce back. Alvin Kamara, once he comes back off his injury, I mean, it's his suspension, another playmaker out of the backfield. For me, it's going to be that offensive line as well, right? Can Trevor Penning actually hold up at left tackle? Uh, Cesar Ruiz has been underwhelming as a former first-round pick. Eric McCoy at center has been up and down. James Hurst just got named the starter over Andrus Pete at left guard it doesn't look like a great offensive line Ryan Ramchek is is a stud over at right tackle but that's it as far as knowing what you're getting from an O-line perspective to me that's the thing one other thing with Carr don't forget the dome factor when you go to New Orleans it's easier to chuck it around indoors he was indoors in, in Vegas the last couple of years it's easier to chuck it around indoors to those playmakers I think Carr's going to look good at the same time, last year at this time, I said I wouldn't be surprised if Derek Carr's in the MVP conversation because Devontae Adams is there. I was wrong. Mm. But we're going to double down on Derek Carr looking good this year because of what he has around him in New Orleans. I think it'll look good enough. I mean, that, as I said, that's, that's a really good group of playmakers, and I think that offensive line has the capability to be pretty good as well. If that's all true, I mean, Derek Carr should look about as good as Derek Carr looks, which is, you know, borderline top 10 type of quarterback. All right, other side of the ball. The defensive line is where I'll have my eyes for the Saints. Cameron Jordan getting a little bit older, but still really good. Is he still one of the most underrated players in the league, or is he properly rated now? He was like nine straight years most underrated player in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was underrated, and now he looks like he's declining pretty hard. Over the last couple of years, though, we've seen Trey Hendrickson move on. We've seen Marcus Davenport move on. Sheldon Rankins. We've so there's a lot of turnover on the defensive line for a couple of years now, including Cameron Jordan kind of coming back down to earth. Um, but they've relied on guys like Carl Granderson to break out last year. Peyton Turner, former first round pick. I was he was better down the stretch after really not doing whole, uh, a lot his first year and a half in the league. They draft Isaiah Foskey in the second round, but and then first round pick Brian Brissy, who had, had some nice plays just last night against the Texans. They're relying a lot on the youth and a veteran like Nathan Shepard coming in, Colin Saunders. So they need a lot of help from that mix of veterans and some of those young players that they're uh, building the future around. 
Yeah, I mean, they're, the Saints defensive line used to be one of the better groups in the NFL. Now I think it, it looks reasonably concerning. Um, Cameron Jordan, I mean, he's still going to play the run really well, but his pass rushing grade has declined in each of the last three years. Last season he had just 37 total pressures in almost 500 pass rushing snaps. That's pretty awful. Um, a pass rushing grade of 53.2, that's also pretty bad. If that's where he is now at 34 years old and only getting older, the Saints don't really have anyone that you can rely on rushing the passer. Like at that point, Carl Granderson is probably their best pass rusher. And that, unless he takes another step forward, you probably don't want him being your number one pass rusher. Uh, Then you have like the back seven, which has always been, well, this is a group capable of that incredible play. It's always been, yeah, like as long as the defensive line is cooking. What happens if the defensive line cooks not at all? Is it still capable of that kind of play? They have those games, right? They've Whenever they played the Bucks, or last year when Derek Carr was in town and the Raiders didn't cross the 50-yard line. The Saints always have a few of those games where it's like Super Bowl-caliber defense. And then other games, it's not there. Um, I do say, hey, maybe just being capable is, is all you need especially if the offense is is moving the ball. So that's where I'm confident in the Saints, and I think the defense will be good enough. Demario Davis at linebacker. I still think Marshawn Lattimore is one of the better corners in the NFL. He takes on a a big role, even though he's battled injuries these last couple years. Tyron Matthew and Marcus May in the secondary. Uh, The second cornerback spot opposite Marshawn Lattimore has always been my big question mark. And Bradley Roby, Paulson Adebo, Adebo had a good rookie season, regressed last year. That's a question still, but I think they're all capable. I think they're capable. I think they'll be top half of the league defensively just because I'm just kind of like buying into the the pass there. But I think they've got probably more question marks there just because they, they, ha- they have fewer games where the defensive line takes over than they had in the past because of the lack of depth. So they need the – Brian Brissies and Isaiah Foskey's of the world to step up. I mean, I don't know if they're going to have any of those games where the, def- where the yeah. defensive line steps up. Like, that's the thing. The back seven, I think, looks fine. Um, but I don't know if that matters if the front four isn't able to do anything, which it might not right now. Anyway, I like the Saints. The over-under is nine and a half for them. Nine and a half. I got to look up the PF. What's the PFF schedule here? I think they have a very favorable schedule. I think everybody in the NFC South will rank favorably. Where's our landing page? There it is. Getting there. Easiest schedules. Atlanta, we have Atlanta with the easiest schedule. Mm-hmm. Saints with the second easiest schedule. Panthers with the fifth easiest schedule. And the Bucks 13th easiest schedule. Saints have the second easiest schedule per PFF.com. That's why the over-under is at 9.5. Yeah, I'll buy over because of that offense. I think the defense could be a problem, but I think the offense will score enough points that it won't matter. I will also buy the over. Someone in the chat mentions Alante Taylor in there. Interesting prospect. Made a great play last night on a C.J. Stroud pass. Taylor has uh, had a lot of flash plays in there. Former second-rounder from Tennessee. Bit of a surprise second-rounder. Uh, again, up and down from a production standpoint, but a lot of potential there to be the guy opposite Marshawn Lattimore. All right, man. We have one team left. Mm-hmm. It's the Tampa Bay Bucks, previewing the Bucks, NFC South champs last year. Tom Brady is retired. The Brady era lasts three years. Bucks 
go to the playoffs, of course, all three years, win a championship. It's now the post-Brady era. After a couple of years of trying to keep the band back together, last year they saw a lot more turnover. It couldn't keep everybody together. The offense was a bit of a mess. Byron Leftwich calling plays. He's been fired. He's out. Dave Canales comes in, former Seahawks QB coach. We have the Bucs. They were 8-9 and nine last year, projected to win 7.7 games. And it's Baker Mayfield's team now. Baker mm. Mayfield comes in after last year, starting the season as the Panthers starter, joining the Rams, winning a game two, two days into the being on the roster, and then looking bad again after that. Figure out Baker Mayfield. Good, good luck. But, yeah, Baker takes over here in Tampa Bay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of done expecting anything from Baker Mayfield at this point. Um, his career has been weird. He, I mean, remember, like, he hit the ground running in his career. Like, he was the guy that broke the streak of Brown's, the, the stupid jersey with the million names on it, like, crossed off one after the other. Baker Mayfield broke that streak. He came in, he set a rookie record for touchdowns in a season. He looked like the answer in Cleveland. And then Freddie Kitchens happened, and then he looked like the answer again, and then he got hurt, and then they basically ran him out of town. They were like, you know what? Your play was so bad when you had a broken shoulder, we've decided to move in a different direction. And as it happens, Deshaun Watson's available. So that's what we're going to do. See ya. And then his Carolina tenure was an absolute disaster, like unbelievably bad. Then you have that cameo with the Rams. And now you're like, I have no earthy idea what Baker Mayfield is going to look like from one week to the next, let alone in any new environment or not. Um, But the rest of this roster is solid. And it's like, They've fallen into this classic trap of you build a, a, a good roster around a superstar quarterback and you have a contender. When the, when the quarterback goes away, you still look at the roster and you're like, you know what, this is pretty good. Like, this isn't a bad roster. We can win with this. And you're like, yeah, but eh, you can only really win with it when you have a really good quarterback. And if you don't have that guy, it's, it's not a good enough roster. So when Baker Mayfield is your quarterback, you look at the offensive line and you're like, uh-oh. Tristan Wirfs is probably going to be good at left tackle just as he was at right tackle. But now you've got Matt Filer, who was a sort of poster boy of, you know, solid starting guard and then wasn't. Um, Robert Hainsey, rookie Cody Mock, Luke Gedeke. Like, that's a group that's not inspiring confidence. The receivers should be really good, but that might not matter if it's Baker Mayfield running for his life behind a bad offensive line. It sounds like Ryan Jenkins is having um... – maybe his career end here at center. Remember last year he got hurt in training camp, opted against surgery, made it back in time for the playoffs. Jensen. Jensen. What did I say? Jenkins. Jenkins. Ryan Jensen. Sorry. My apologies to Ryan Jensen. But he was one of the better centers in the league, and uh, his career might be over now, actually, at center. Robert Hainsey, who did fill in for him last year, was okay. He was fine. But the offensive line, the run game in Tampa Bay was historically bad last year. And as much as we don't talk about the running game here, we never want any part of your team to be historically bad, no matter what it is. Even if it's punting, even Mm. if it's kicking, whatever it is, you don't want it to be historically bad. Having an historically bad run game last year affected everything else because you also didn't have a pass offense that was creating open throws, that was scheming things open. It was a lot of, hey, go win one-on-one. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, trust Tom Brady to get you the ball. So I, I think the scheme will be better. And even though the talent's on the offensive line, Luke Gedeke moving from where he struggled at guard 
back to his college position at right tackle. Maybe that'll be better. But we just haven't seen it. That's four spots where there's either someone new or someone moving, including Tristan Wirfs, moving to left tackle. And so that's a bit of a question. I think he'll do it. He's very good. But he also didn't have to move him to left tackle. You know my thoughts there. So the O-line helping the run game, will, the, uh, will I don't know if they'll be able to. The scheme will, though, I believe. I think Canales will put them in position to succeed. Rashad White taking the bulk of the carries here. And then a year removed from the ACL surgery for Chris Godwin, he wasn't himself for much of the season last year. That foundation could be good enough. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, for Baker to just throw the ball up to, which he likes to do. He likes to, he likes to give those guys opportunities to make plays. Trey Palmer, the speed receiver, coming out of Nebraska. He's had a nice little preseason. Now that Russell Gage is out for the year. Palmer is fighting for that wide receiver three spot. Rakeem Jarrett, another rookie wide receiver. And uh, Kate Otten was solid as a rookie tight end, fourth rounder. I think they're okay there. Again, it just comes down to I, we have no idea what to expect out of Baker. And it's not just because he's been inconsistent. He's been inconsistent when it didn't make sense. You know how I can describe Derek Carr's career and say the highs went, the highs went with when everything around him was good and the lows were when things fell apart. Baker's almost the opposite, right? When they got OBJ, he was bad. Yeah. When he had a bad situation, <laughs> he was good. When he was expected to be good, he was bad. Except, when he gets off the plane and doesn't even know the playbook, he right. was good. Nothing makes sense with Baker Mayfield. <laughs> and honestly, with the Bucs, you could, you could paint both pictures. He's got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. That's good. But he also has a whole new offensive line that might not be – we don't know what – Anything is in Tampa Bay. I, yeah, I will say generally I'm with you on the, like, if Tristan Wirfs is, a, is an amazing right tackle, leave him there. There's not much difference. Like, what's the point? I will say, however, with Baker Mayfield specifically. Maybe that's different. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The way he reacted when Greg Robinson was his left tackle. And, in, like, after about five minutes, he was like, I don't, on every single play, I am now assuming my left tackle is getting his ass kicked and running for my life in the opposite direction. That became a massive problem for them. Baker's so, a, he's a peaker, right? He peaks. He does peak at that left tackle. Hey, Greg Robinson's there. Right. I don't know. So I don't if, know if, he's... If, if he just has unwavering confidence that Tristan Wirfs is left tackle, he never has to worry about what's coming from behind him, maybe that's a good thing for Baker. Like he can actually hang in a pocket and not, you know, run for his life to the right field every single play. So that's the one situation where it might be worth having Tristan Wirfs play there, assuming it's of a, a similar kind of level. But, yeah, the, the, the Ryan Jensen thing is a weird story because, remember, he tore his knee. It was like training camp, right, last season. Yeah. And got back by the end of the year, like surprisingly so. You know, guy goes down, bad knee injury, training camp. You're like, uh-oh, season's gone, as has happened this year. IR, probably not coming back for the year. But he ends up getting back on the field last season having not had surgery. You know, it was some form of knee ligament injury – and then he elected to go a different route. I'm not saying um, he shouldn't have. Like, he's apparently had, you know, multiple, multiple opinions on this thing and then ended up going the route he went, but went back into the game last year, and yet that same knee might now be basically shutting down his career. So, I mean, if it is, that's a horrible thing to happen in a world where knee injuries tend not to be career-enders anymore. Um, it's unusual to see a guy go down and have one sort of linger for multiple seasons and potentially shut down his career. Yeah, it's really unfortunate for Jensen. And um, like I said, 
offensively with the Bucs. I don't know what to expect. Mike Evans, I think, is still really good. There was a, it was an odd season last year where him and Brady weren't on the same page. Like, way, way more than they were the first two years. Mm. You know, it's, it's almost in, in reverse, right? If it's early in their time together, it makes sense, and then it grows. They were not on the same page. Baker doesn't have the best history of being on the same page with receivers and everything. But like I said, Baker Mayfield's also very aggressive. And I think he won the job over Kyle Trask because of his aggressiveness and taking plays, yeah. taking shots down the field. Trask has been a lot more conservative by all reports in practice and during games. So Baker's going to give those playmakers a chance to make plays, which means the, the range of outcomes is wide here for the Bucs, I believe. Well, I also think that – so. I, we were, I think, a few shows ago, I was sort of saying, look, I think there's mileage to be had in simply not being Baker Mayfield if you're Kyle Trask. Like, you could, you could maybe sneak up on the rails and win this job by simply not doing the things Baker does, right? Just being super conservative and not making mistakes. Um, but Baker Mayfield hasn't really made any mistakes in preseason. Like, if he'd gone out there and every time they put him on the field, it was a turnover-worthy play out there, then I think Kyle Trask could have actually snuck that job. Also, by the way, Trask has been out there and actually thrown those turnover-worthy plays. So Baker didn't do it, and Kyle Trask did do it despite being conservative. That's usually not a particularly good uh, feeling. The other thing, it's worth mentioning, I did not like this guy as a draft prospect, but Trey Palmer now has been making – he's made at least one play that simply did not feature in his college tape at all in every single preseason game. Like, he's been consistently – uh, high-pointing or winning contested catches deep down the field, tracking the ball well and winning it above his head, not letting it drop into a bucket. I mean, if he's able to do that, his speed plays. Like, that That guy is blazing straight-line speed. Um, and in college, it just – I mean, I didn't, I didn't think it would matter enough because I didn't think he could actually make those plays at the catch point. If he's figured that out in the last six months – I mean, he should absolutely feature in a receiving core with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. and Be the deep threat. Just be the fast guy, too. Right. And just be the fast guy. Color me intrigued. I know I say intrigued a lot. Hmm. I can't wait. The season's coming soon. Can't wait to see all of it play out. But color me intrigued by the Bucks' offense with Canales maybe making it a little bit easier. More boot action, more schemed open throws. Defensively, Todd Bowles' defense has been pretty good over the last couple of years, right? So, again, another team that was, that was capable, obviously, of playing championship-caliber defense. You want some uh, synonyms for intrigued? Just yeah, throw yeah. it into the, the Mix source it in, please. there. Has anybody been counting? I mean, you're a big you overuser. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get away from intrigued and, and, uh, and interesting. And interesting, there's, definitely. There's not a ton we'll of better words out there. Now, Can we just re- you have to restructure the whole sentence. Right. There are six I'm synonyms, to according see. to thesaurus.com, for intrigued. Absorbed. It's not a bad one. Charmed. I'm absorbed. Not so great. Well, I mean, it's, it's yeah, I mean, anyway. Captivated. That's a good one. Captivated. Captivated's a good one. I don't want to overuse that. I mean, I'm not really that captivated right. by the box. So I'm just intrigued. Fascinated. Yeah, we use that a lot, too. Yeah. Entertained and no. interested. So that's, that's the same problem with that one. Huh. Kind of stuck here. Mm. You guys are stuck with fascinated, interested, and intrigued. Now, interested also gives you engrossed. Uh, I'm not going to be engrossed. I'm just going to be intrigued, though. That's it's just it's too far. Too it's like far. A, it's, a, it's a higher degree of intrigued. Engrossed, like you're all in. Captivated is a good one. I was engrossed in Stafford and the Rams. I'm merely intrigued by the Bucks. <laughs> Enticed. Yeah? Enticed means you're being like you're being swayed to do something. I'm not being swayed. I'm going to actively. I'm going to opt in. 
to, to watching all this stuff mm. this season. Can we just talk about the Bucks defense and wrap it up for uh, season previews? Sure. We'll have a so we'll have a prediction show as well before the season. So that's going to be week up. We need to have Labor Day prediction show. That's what we'll do. Labor Day prediction show. Okay. That Wednesday will be the bet show, day before the start of the regular season. So people can react to our predictions on Monday. Send us their bets for Wednesday. That's me. That's the schedule for next week. Get that on the schedule for next week, please. Bucks defense. Mm-hmm. It's been pretty good under Todd Bowles. Got a little bit of uh, change in the secondary. Carlton Davis, though, and Jamel Dean both come back. Yeah. Brought uh, Carlton Davis back at free agency at corner, so that one-two punch is pretty good. Question mark's going to be at slot corner. Rashawn Murphy Bunting moves on. They bring in Ryan Neal at safety. Shaquille Barrett comes back off of his injury. And then long-rumored potential trade of Devin White did not happen. Devin White's still playing. Everyone knows our takes on Devin White. Not as good as the hype. I think people started to catch up to that last year. Yeah. When they actually saw some football plays of Devin White instead of just the sacks. Um, and then the defensive line, we've seen an overhaul these last couple of years. Kalijah Kansi, their first-round pick. Line up the little guy next to Vita Vea. Also uh, interested, intrigued, and fascinated to see how that all works. Yeah, captivated. Captivated even. Gripped. I'll be engrossed. I'll be engrossed in that. Gripped. Gripped? Yeah, gripped's a good uh, It's a gripping defensive uh-huh. line here in there Tampa you Bay. Go. Uh, is Kansi hurt his knee? Is he still good? Yeah, I don't know. I, oh, okay. He's really bringing the information to the people here. Well, uh, you're asking me live on air. Well, yeah. I, I hope that you might have more of an indication as to whether he was healthy. We get hopeful, an injury report on Kalijah for week one. Yeah, thank you. There's no injury. Nobody wants to give injury reports. No. Nobody's, all, nobody's required to give an injury report yeah. until next Wednesday. Correct. Except for the Lions and Chiefs. We'll see it on Monday. But that's <laughs> it. We have no idea on injuries. Yes. Um, so, yeah, look, the, the defensive front, I think, should be pretty solid. They've got pass rushers. They've got guys who can defend the run. Devin White, for all his faults, and there are many, is a good pass rusher, um, a good blitzer from the linebacker position. And he does quite a lot of it because he's not so great at other things. So they want him to do that as much as possible. Um, and then the back end, I think that's actually a really good group of defensive backs. Again, slot corner is a question mark, but Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, Winfield Jr., Ryan Neal coming in, Levante David is still one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL. That's a really good group on the back end if they can get enough pressure up front. And Kansi has the capacity, I think, to transform that pass rush. Barrett is good. Tryon Shoyinka hasn't really shown what he was expected to. Vita Vea will make plays from the interior, but if Kansi can become that consistent every down pass rusher on the inside that changes everything look I've, I've i've given walt a lot of leeway in the chat here yeah but he just said pff is wrong on devin white uh-huh can't i can't i can't let that slide okay walt i challenge you to go watch all of devin white's plays all and right. just watch the bad plays for the the bucks defense and it's kind of at the center of them. <laughs> a lot. And they're all Devin White plays. For a linebacker. Anyway, um, again, the Bucks defense, they will have games where they are flying around and really difficult to move the ball on. They'll have other games where they just get picked apart. Inconsistency like any other defense. My big, But overall, I think Todd Bowles as head coach and the architect of the defense does a good job. Good talent, pretty good coach, good results. My biggest question with Todd Bowles goes down to the in-game management stuff, where even last year, like they're so conservative, even when they had Tom Brady last year, 
They were so conservative. They got away with it in that Monday night game against the Saints where they punted down two scores with eight minutes left or seven minutes left, whatever it was. They still ended up coming back to win. I don't think that flies this year. So to me, unless Bowles does something with his in-game decision-making, they they need it. Like they need to play like they're underdogs this year. They're no longer the best team in the division. Clearly, clearly the best team in the division. Right. They they need to play like underdogs, and so they need Todd Bowles to make that adjustment. They need the defense to play strong. I like Baker leaning into his aggressiveness because they've got those dudes to throw to and, and see what happens. If all that comes comes together, the Bucks will. You know, probably be right in the mix for the NFC South because really, how hard could it be? It's the NFC South now. We've moved it. How hard could it be? That's the new division now. That's just the Souths. The oh, Souths. all the, the Souths. Souths are now how hard? Unless if Trevor Lawrence is elite, then it's difficult. If yes. you're not Jacksonville, right? But if you're in the South, otherwise, and Trevor Lawrence is just okay, how hard could it be? Yeah, well, they 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 have to take the opposite journey that the Lions and the Jags are taking of shifting from underdog mentality to favorite mentality that's what those two teams have to do the bucks have to go the opposite direction like you you are used to being the front runner and the favorite and the team that's going to win for the last couple of years now you're the underdog again and you need to start trying to get those edges back by coaching and play calling and all those kind of strategies because you're no longer tom brady isn't there anymore and todd Bowles might be better in that situation he might be better from the underdog type of role. You know, he was lamenting last year, too many people, you know, relying on their Super Bowl win and, you know, getting comfortable. Maybe it's like, hey, guys, we haven't done anything yet, and that's going to work in the Bucks' favor for the season. And it's also, this is another one of those situations where not to trample on the man's coaching grave or anything, but shifting away from Byron Leftwich is probably going to be quite a large jump in the right direction. Leftwich was dragging this thing downwards in a bit of bad direction. It was probably connected to his steadfast <laughs> refusal to acknowledge the modern coaching world. You know, analytics, what's that? Computers, what? And, I, and look, I know, I know that the offense worked fine in 20 and 21, but Bruce Arians was still there with yes. a lot of oversight over the offense. Right. And then, in tw- and, then, and then Tom Brady also made it his own. And then last year, they just, when they, it was almost like we found something that works. We're, we're faking handoffs. We call that play action and open receivers are showing up and they just wouldn't keep doing it. They just wouldn't keep it up. But again, they were also extremely bad in the run game, right? So as much as it was, was it a play calling thing? A little bit, but when you are literally losing yards or getting zero yards in the run game and you're in second and 10, second and 11, it is difficult. I mean, time. look, nobody is saying that analytics will give you all of the answers like all you need to do is to pay attention to the numbers and then run your entire playbook off that right nobody is saying that but byron leftwich took being disengaged with the facts to 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 a new level he turned it into an art form like i have never heard of this witchcraft frankly who needs it we play football over here it's like look that's just being deliberately ignorant of information that can help you do your job better and that's probably not smart and if you were operating the best offense in the NFL, it still wouldn't be smart, but at least you couldn't really say anything about it. When you're not doing that and the offense is actively struggling and you're just deliberately ignoring information that could help that, that's clearly problematic. So the fact that the Buccaneers don't have to navigate that this year should help. Last thing to mention, because we promised more running back analysis, Rashad White, he's going to be the bell cow guy this year. It's good catching the ball in the backfield last year. 
showed some flashes, added a little more juice to the run game over Leonard Fournette, expecting bigger things from Rashad White. How's that? Nice. Over under six and a half here for the for the Bucks. Six mm. and a half. That's it. Yes, over. I'll take over as well. Oh, we're buying into Baker Mayfield. Oh god. Winning seven games as a starter. In spite of Baker. Wow. 32 out of 32. We nailed it. Nailed it, man. Nice job. So that's it. We've previewed every single team. We still have to make official predictions for this year, and we still need to hear from you what your official predictions are. So that's NFL Podcast at pff.com. You're going to send those emails with your bets. Make sure you put bet in the title. It'll be easier for Sam to sift through all of the emails. And we're going to do that show next week. So appreciate everybody for being here, going through all the previews. If you missed your favorite team, go back and check it out. Go listen to them anyway. Wherever you're listening, whenever you're watching, go check them out. Check out my Brunel jersey. If you're listening, you got to go see YouTube, see my Brunel throwback. You understand, of course, that you pissed off three out of the four teams in that division with that. No. You don't understand that. Oh, did I? That's okay. <laughs> it's just the Texans, Colts, and who else? Ah, uh, the Titans. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying, they're probably not in love with the uh, okay. the Jags. I'll wear Josh Allen for the East jersey. shows. I, I rock the Josh Allen every now and again. I just mix it up. If they send me a jersey of their favorite team, <laughs> send me a Will Anderson jersey. Send me an, an Anthony Richardson. Send me... Anything. Anyone from the Titans. Who would I want from the Titans? Skaronsky? Skaronsky. He's got to be Derrick Henry. Just hey, as Derrick a, as send a me a Derrick Henry. I'll, I'll wear... Listen... I accept gifts. Double X, probably. Yeah, as a if fellow you send me comically large human. A team jersey, I'll wear it. Any jersey you send. Wow. I'll wear it. Mm-hmm. How's that? Perfect. Um, the rest of the week, like I said, t- tomorrow's cut day. All rosters have to be down to 53 tomorrow on Tuesday. So I'll be here with Brad Spielberger Wednesday going through all of that, you know, who's been cut, who's, who's coming back after week one, all the mechanics of the, the roster moves, and then I'll be with Trevor Sykema on Thursday previewing the draft, high-level 2024 NFL draft preview. On your way out, you got to hit the thumbs-up button, tell your friends. It is football season. Tell your friends that the PFF NFL podcast, we're in, we're in, in season mode right now. We're ready to go. And it's here. People joining us. Football is happening again. We've got the chat saying they're going to send a Todd Heap jersey. Wow. A Mike Mamula, uh, wow. Mike Mamula jersey. Mm-hmm. Mike and I have, uh, we had the same trainer. Really? The guy that trained Mike Mamula. That raises some question marks. Well, the guy who trained Mike Mamula to crush the combine was my trainer. Uh huh. Okay. And with that, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again Wednesday with more PFF NFL podcast. <laughs>